very influenced by this. No question. Everybody I've met in my major. So the whole class people in the session and that is bad, Made for you. But it is more difficult. His movies show aliens and sharks. The black and then for the song of wonder, like painting. Right. Exactly. Jones, this is a very racist. Have you never, you never thought of it? No, the first one is like a doctor with a lost art, and so you don't have to die with stuff cutting. Oh, oh, the the second, the second, second one is called India Jones, Temple of Doom, where he goes to British rules India, and uh, he like fights with like death cult. It has very like or you know very very negative type of India. Like, there's like a death cult sacrificing people with Kali and stuff. Oh, this is what India. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about it's about and 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 Kate Blanchard, actually. Oh, Kate Blanchard, yeah. She plays like a KGB ability as possible. And I heard the makeup of Indiana this point. I heard the makeup of the one, but they're going to DA in Paris and Florence, and you're like, no, it's pretty old. No, I don't need to jump around. You know, we got a... Today we have a, a really inspiring event. We're going to go and join with the Church of the Overcomer in their um, conference. And, um, you know, uh, I'll be talking about the Black prophetic tradition. And I, you know, we talk about it a lot in here, but, um, you know, but you, you, you so. I don't, no wanna, spoilers. I don't want to spoil. I don't want to give away <laughs> what I've been talking. I've been thinking about it for weeks. But um, you know, the new year is upon us, and I know people are going back to Asia for a while. And I, you know, I was thinking one time, oh, we got all these months to get all this together. No, we don't. It's here. So there are three events, conferences, concerts that we're organizing. Uh, I'll let um, Serafina, we've been discussing the uh, Du Bois birthday conference. Um, Madre uh, Jesse has welcomed us, not only agreed, but welcomed us to do the conference at their new church. Oh, okay. where they're, where they're, yeah. Where is it? Uh, it's right outside, about 35 minutes from Philly, you know, from the center of Philly. Uh, I think it's in Plymouth meeting. Uh, and, and actually you can get there both by car and by uh, public transportation. A bus stops right there. But, uh, you know, we can organize cars and so on to get up there. The thing is uh, to help others who are not in the free school to get there. 
so we have some kind of organizing to do. But Seraphine and I have been talking about it. What what were the titles that we thought of on Seraphine? For the back reconstruction. Uh well, the celebration of Du Bois's birthday come February. Um it'll be dedicated to what we've been studying in preschool back reconstruction. And we think in the working title um is between like two things. But the first one was the Black Military and the Fourth Revolution, American Revolution, um, a, a conference on Black Reconstruction and some other subtitle. I'm forgetting what the, or the Black Proletariat and what was it, the formation of the a new American people or nation. You, you see, what we're doing, you know, referencing back to the fourth, I mean, the 10th anniversary, anniversary, yeah. Which I think, I, I don't think we should forget about that. That was, it did establish who we are, what we think, our worldview. Uh, so we would think, yeah, the, we want to do the Black proletariat. Uh, and either the fourth American revolution or the formation of a new American nation, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 you know, we have to get every, get our people together to do the presentations. They don't have to be long because it'll be a one day conference, but we are going to have to ideologically take on so much, yeah. so much. <clears throat> so we had, we were just, uh, yo, I don't know what that is. You want to go down there and see? Okay. Yo, excuse me. <laughs> 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 okay. you, you're coming wrong now. I have to you go down there and make some noise. Make some noise. What you mean? Yeah. Just like coffee, hold everybody up. Y'all get good. I see you. Everybody had their hands up. I don't know what's wrong. So, um, you know, our worldview and, and literally our proposal to the people is based upon uh, totally different assumptions than you find in the so-called political left and in the academic left. So that's what uh, that's what we're trying to highlight. Uh, so I, I guess in a lot of ways, it'll be both talking about the work and its significance, but also talking about uh, its worldview and the, and the adversarial right. positions. Mm -hmm. So, if people don't mind, Serafina, uh, you will work a couple, you know, mm -hmm. to get it, you know, if that's okay with everybody. Okay. And now the second conference is uh, the one on Korea. So, I'll turn it over to Nuri and Jerry. Mm -hmm. yep. Then that comes okay. third. Okay. okay. February, March, and April. Okay. Um, yeah, so in late mid March, we're hoping to do a conference on Korea. Um, and Nuri and I and Anna have been talking about this with Doc the past couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, it's still definitely 
ideologically a work in progress. Mm -hmm. We're trying to trying to like flesh out like how are we going to present this? Like who is our audience? Yeah. Um, like what are the main ideas and themes that we want to hit on? Um, but so far, I think sort of the main the main ideas that we've been talking about are first of all like understanding Korea as a civilization mm -hmm. um, and that foregrounds then the move towards talking about um, the need for peace and reunification in Korea mm -hmm. and through that you also have to talk about the impact of the Korean War yeah. basically in terms of imposing an artificial division mm -hmm. on a civilization mm -hmm. that was like very like coherent and united for so much of its history um and also basically decimating like large parts of the people of the Korean Peninsula and then um yeah we also want to look at like building on that experience of like the Korean War um to look at like what was the formation of South Korean society under U.S. occupation which is not how a lot of people think about South Korea as an occupied uh, sort of territory of the United States, but that is like factually what it is. And so we're trying to look at like what was the actual development of South Korean society in that under those uh, like in that sort of context, and then also look at um, like what was the formation of North Korean society as well. Um, but I think yeah, like sort of the main theme so far that we've been working on are like trying to understand Korea as a civilization um, and then to build on that and then to really emphasize the need for peace um, and for reunification in the Korean Peninsula, but also I think like some sort of other threads that we've been talking about are, um, you know, trying to bring together like, you know, trying to like bring this message to different audiences, whether it's like, like Black people and in Philly, but also Asian Americans and different generations of Asian Americans um, and trying to understand, um, you know, like how have past generations of specifically Koreans been shaped by the Korean War. Um, and I think like taking, taking seriously that the war was a very traumatizing experience for people who went through it, but also trying to understand like what are younger Asian people ready for? Um, what are they like ready to hear? Um, and then I think related to that, um, yeah, I feel like there is an interesting also thread in terms of like the situation in between Korea and the United States is obviously not the same, but there are certain similarities in terms of, you know, divisions that are imposed on a, upon a people that are not in the interests of the people. And how can that experience in Korea, the struggle for reunification, also have like something to say to the American people and their struggle to become a united people, um, especially in the context of the struggle for peace and everything. And so, um, yeah, I think we're we're trying to get together just like stuff that we can look at, like stuff that we can read together, um, like you know documentaries that we want to watch, and uh, yeah, we're. We haven't fully fleshed out yet like what will be like the program and then like how many days it'll be or like the complete structure but right now we're just trying to figure out like the basic ideological framework and how we want to present this to people um but i think a lot of it is 
building on also the sort of ideas that were discussed and sort of fleshed out with the 10th anniversary conference. Um, but yeah, Nuri and Anna. So. We're just talking about the Korea event tonight, but um, yeah, I think part of why it seems like like right now, I think the way that I'm seeing the arc is sort of going from civilization and the concept of like a very old United Korean people towards this question of the future and reunification. But thinking about the future, like what actually is like the future of the world order and of society. And I think part of it is like this idea of like what is modern or what is actually progressive. And people always want to say that South Korea is like the progressive side of it. But I think we want to make the case that actually there's a lot to see and to learn from North Korea. But the reason why I think we felt like right now it's important to look back at civilization is because if our two main audiences right now that we're seeing are like Black Americans and Koreans, like Korean Americans and Asian Americans, for whatever reason, there's such a high like ideological barrier to actually considering North Korea like on its own. And so we were thinking that it makes sense to establish like for thousands of years, there was one Korean people. Why is it like, why is it that now these two sides are pitted against each other? And like the answer to that is obviously imperialism. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about um, basically with the Korean War and similar to like so many other peoples and countries around the world, like in the 20th century, basically there is an encounter or a struggle with imperialism. And in the North, I feel like it's the example of a people that refused to like acquiesce or live alongside imperialism and fought it off. And in the South, unfortunately, you have an outcome where people were forced to live basically with imperialists, like literally have them occupy a part of the peninsula. And so I feel like it's not going back to civilization to say like, oh, like this is the source of like everything. But I think to give people a broader sense of like what the history actually is, especially because the last like two generations have been so defined by like the war and separation. Um, yeah, and I think part of it is also like, I don't know, I just think like the long arc of history in some ways, which is also what we've been talking about like in free school. Um, I mean, like American history is pretty short, but I feel like part of it is like the philosophy of history and like what actually is coming forward. And yeah, so I think right now we're thinking about how to actually like settle this arc because I think we are like trying to figure out like, okay, like what is important about civilization? Like, is it language? Is it music? Like what part of like the history is important to draw out? but without making the conference basically about the past. Because mm -hmm. um, I think we very much want it to be about the future. Yeah, I don't really have much to add, um, except that I think another thing that we want to emphasize for this event is that we want to also be like a model and an example for other, I mean, I guess you, I guess we were thinking about young Korean and Asian Americans, but I think there are things that people of every background could draw out. And it's basically, how can you actually, or how can we, as like representatives and members of the free school, like model um, 
first of all, I think, like, what does it actually mean to be, for example, a Korean American or an Asian American and someone who has chosen, you know, their history and um, their people? So I think nowadays in the United States, there's an a very there's a very aggressive and kind of single-minded um, campaign that a lot of us are fed about what it means to actually be Asian American, and and a lot of it is um, it takes place in a very specific like geopolitical context. I think when we are being primed to take positions against Asia and to take positions against communism and to take positions against humanity um, and independent sovereign development of Asian people and of oppressed people um, and to align with the West. And, you know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of shallow talk that we're being fed about, you know, how to be Asian or how to not be white. But I think we also want to be a model of what does it mean to actually stand with your people and to actually stand with the world's people and to actually reject whiteness. And I think this this is something that can um, really concretely um, provide like a path or an, an alternative for like young for 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 young I think Asians in um, in in America. Although that's definitely not I think the only background who. Mm -hmm. Can draw these types of these types of lessons. Yeah. Wow. Just just to add to what Anna's saying, I think one of the the interesting things about I guess specifically like the Korean American experience is that you have a lot of young Korean people who grow up and have never really ever been told even like the story of what the Korean War was like for their grandparents. And I think it's because a lot of people who went through the war are, yeah, like are very traumatized by it and either saw a lot of horrible things or were part of many horrible things. And um, and I think that, yeah, it's impossible to know like who you are or what you really came from, mm -hmm. like who you are as a person, but also like for your identity not to be something which is just in, like an insular thing, but an identity which is forged by, an actual sense of purpose of like oh like from like our people's experience like I want to be part of like anything which helps like humanity like as Anna was saying to, for humanity to move towards um like a more just order and towards peace and yeah I think even as we were talking I was thinking about this idea of like civilization and I think part of the important aspect of it at least that's coming to me is that it's yeah, like as Nuri was saying, it's not to just recover like an old civilization, but that it's kind of making the case that in order for a civilization to not just be a thing like in itself, but like a thing for humanity, like you have to basically overcome imperialism. Like that process is not possible if you have imperialism getting in the way of that. Um, and I think like we want to make the case that Korean civilization has a lot to contribute to like world civilization and world humanity, but that that like process is um, not, it's a like, kind of impeded by like the existence of imperialism on the peninsula. Um, and that even like right now, like North and South Korea are very like pretty different societies and that the process of them coming together and finding like a new way to like basically 
realize who they are as like a whole people, I think like that process itself will hopefully contribute something new to like the consciousness of the world itself. Um, so yeah. You know, um, I, I'm very fortunate to be a part of these discussions. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things that, uh, well, several things, one was that Korean civilization is not derivative from China. It is not, uh, you know, it's still, you know, I think that the Korean civilization may have predated Chinese civilization, but that's neither here nor there in a lot of ways, but uh, this idea that a larger nation or larger civilization must have spawned the smaller civilization, and that is not the case. Uh, and uh, we had the, at least I had the opportunity to hear, because we talked a lot about Korean language and Korean uh, script. Mm -hmm. And when you hear the Korean language, I was just, you know, uh, Emily, I hate to tell you this. I fell in love with the Korean language just a little bit that I heard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but uh, it's a very beautiful language. And, um, and Anna has done a lot of thinking about that. But this is, uh, and then we talked about um, the great trauma that the Korean people have suffered. That Korean War was not a walk in the park by any means. It was a genocidal war. There was a bomb. A bomb for every North Korean was dropped on the North. In other words, every living human being in North Korea during the period 1950 to 1953 mm. had a bomb with their name on it. Mm. Um, and the North, you know, I, I would say the South, this is just me talking, the South has suffered a spiritual undoing, maybe spiritual death. I don't know. I don't want to, but what the North has suffered in trauma, not only that war, but the famine of the 1990s, where the United States, and I was alive, and I read the newspapers, it was like joy to see people die from lack of food when there was enough food in the world to provide for the North. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, somehow, you know, even though we said we didn't want to make it about North Korea, but to make it about the entire Korean Peninsula. And by the way, for us, the struggle for peace is the struggle against imperialism. Mm -hmm. yeah. It is not a pacifist slogan. It is the struggle against the forces of war. Mm -hmm. And if you want to see the rawness of it, go to Korea. Uh, you know, and and you know, I know it's not comparisons are not good, but I think the U.S. was more vicious in Korea than they were even in Vietnam. Uh, and it was in Korea, and and you know, I have to tell you this: there's no way to get around it. They laughed and they were joyful. 
that they were able to do this and said, and this is where, uh, where the Chinese came in, 200,000 of them, and the United States then threatened to use nuclear weapons against China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was, I mean, you just can't. And I, I think, because let me I'll shut my mouth in a minute. One of the things we were, you know, trying to, well, when we were forging our understanding, who was our audience? Mm -hmm. And we do have to speak to Korean Americans mm -hmm. because. A lot of people have internalized the trauma. A lot of people don't even know about it. So they don't understand their parents and grandparents, you know? Um, and um, and I was saying, it's, it was the same thing after slavery. People who were slaves didn't want to talk about it. I mean, and frankly, I don't think it was talked about very much in a wide way until the 1960s. It wasn't keep it, you know, that's the past, let's keep it moving. And I think the same with Korea. And uh, I think, and my last point is this, one of the things that seemed to us is that to make it permissible mm -hmm. for Koreans, whatever their generation, to talk about Korea, to talk about their longing. And it seems to us that all Koreans want to be unified. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's the way we want to approach it. We don't know whether it be two or three, how we're going to do it yet. But this, I think it's very, very important. I don't, I, frankly, I, just, I feel it will be more difficult with Korean Americans than with African Americans, mm -hmm. if you know what I'm saying. Um, there's more, um, uh, there's, there are more reasons to suppress this. But, uh, so we're, you know. I'll just add one thing. The, the career neighborhood of Wackwood and West Wayne, mm -hmm. not just in West Wayne, mm -hmm. but it, probably like out of all of the ethnic groups that moved into West Wayne, the career neighborhood, I went to Korean karate, mm -hmm. I went to Korean karate school, mm -hmm. but I was a painter. So I had my relationship kind of like it grew. But the Korean people in our neighborhood where, I, where the people were buried in Northwoods, they have their own, they have a shrine in that in that burial place. And it's one of the most beautiful. I grew up in the, we, we don't desecrate things. This is where we played, some of us mm -hmm. kids played it. And they have the most beautiful archway shrine in Northwoods Cemetery. And this is the same thing, I seen some pictures from the Catholic Archdiocese of the Korean school there. My daughter went to Holy Angels and that's Korean school for Catholic schools, but they have contributed. And I was saying this from my own experience, this is West Oak Lane and East Oak Lane. And it's kind of hard to think, to have, try to suppress it. You got to touch base with them. Yeah, because yeah. You know, we we're trying to fly it out. Yeah. Because we need all of that now to make flyers up here. You know? Oh wow! Yes, I would put flyers up in there. Up there because yeah. um, we have to. We have to reach out to them to ask them to be a part of I'll, this. I'll, we, we, yeah. can do that. we could do that. That reminds me also in our discussion about the the boys' birthday. Mm -hmm. We were reflecting on the day before here, um, talking about the what we were reading and about reconstruction. Because I was reminded by um, Danny, who brought up how, like, in the process of the um, general strike, the proletariat 
realize itself or does as it as a proletariat. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it reminds me of that because that's kind of why we were talking about the black proletariat as a concept, because the black or like the period that we're reading and the revolution that we're studying was a revolution that were, um, I guess its process was by people realizing that humanity and that concept of the human being was um this is where i could see this yeah it fits into this and you know it fits Africa, into this to the north korea event yep the yep i could see that realization of the new human being human beings period mm -hmm. that i think is an important concept mm -hmm. anybody else any questions we're, we're working hard on this i think uh the conceptualizing has been a real, you know, thing. Will, and then, you know, the Korean civilization and language, beautiful language. I mean, I mean, I don't know, just to hear it. Um, so yeah, so we we'll, we have a lot to work on, and uh, <laughs> so um, okay. Um, I don't know. Do you want to say anything about the Proverbs um, uh, and Elijah Muhammad? I think we've discussed it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't think right now we don't have anything new to say about, but we'll, because uh, Kathy, we, we're going to, because we want to, what, what uh, Serpina and I did talk about is the um, the aesthetics of it, the art of it. Wanting to have more pictures. Yeah, the pictures that we had for the African leaders, yeah. but then we need pick new new pictures of Paul Robeson and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Yeah. And because um, this will be essentially an intercivilizational concert to celebrate their lives. Do you want to say the title again? <laughs> Um again, just to repeat the title will be um likes the title so much. <laughs> Unconquered Love, Paul Robeson, and the the other thing that we did talk about was saying Paul Robeson and the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. Just say the term unconquerable, unconquered love. That's what I said. Okay, um, say, okay, go ahead. Do the, oh shoot. You're right. I'm sorry, I forgot. The Magnificent Lives of Paul Robeson and, and the uh, Most Honorable Elijah see, Muhammad. We were asking, should we say oh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad or the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad? I checked with um, uh, Jerome. What do you think? And he wouldn't say the most. He, ain't, he didn't, say, he didn't say much of anything as far as I'm concerned. Wow. I just suggest I won't tell. But anyway, I don't, really say that. I don't feel like cursing right now. But uh, I know to most people, the name, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is what they know. Uh, in the Nation of Islam, they refer to uh, him as the Most Honorable yeah. and Louis Farrakhan as the Honorable. And it has certain theological, philosophical yeah. groundings as well as the honoring of uh, Minister Farrakhan for the the second resurrection, but we, I think yes. we can work it out. And I think, uh, what the, what the, what the, what the, 
Did we decide how we would? We, we just said we have to, we'll check. Well, with, we were reaching out to people. We'll reach out to the Nation uh, of Islam. No, like the musicians and stuff, like those those groups. Yeah. But other than that, it wasn't that much. Yeah, yeah. And it's your main thing, it'll be April 9th. Mm -hmm. It'll probably be two weeks after the Korea conference, mm -hmm. which means. Full steam ahead. But I think um, the Korean conference, you know, is going to require more, so more of us will have to get involved. And I think the um, the concert won't be that difficult. The only thing is that I was talking to Purva about this. The Bangladeshis have to come with their A-team. Don't bring the children. <laughs> 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 So we're going to um, we're going to get on that soon. It'll be like Easter. Easter. Mm -hmm. It'll be like Easter. Easter. Uh, Is that Easter? I, oh, oh, that'll be one. interesting. Sorry, <laughs> 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 It'll be the Sunday. Is that Easter? Yeah, it is Easter. Easter then mm -hmm. That'd be even better. <laughs> It will be the afternoon, like uh, two. People will be done with church. It'll be done with church. Yeah. And for many people, just Maybe like the preschool yeah. is the church for people that don't go to church, right. like yeah. the Church of the Overcomer. Right. No, 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 no. no. No, it's a beautiful thing. We can have, we can have uh, ideological Easter eggs. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there's every reason to celebrate Paul Robeson on Easter. Okay. And, right. No, I understand that. It makes sense. No. As a Christian. Okay. Thinking about the what? Well, it just seems like you know, with the event right on its tail, and then I'm wondering, do people tend to spend Easter um, going to service in the morning? Yeah, and then do they end up having like I I'm very probably like the researchers have like an Easter lunch or yeah and and. Yeah, and people, you know, the thing is, people do not go to church the way they're used to. This is this is part of the problem of the black civil society and the church and so on. Pardon me, but no one would take it as if we did it in you know in the afternoon. Let us say from two to six, because most church services end. They go from eleven to one. You know, and yeah, some yeah. yeah, and then if people are Catholic, you know, they don't make they don't do like what Baptists do. Yeah, they're just an hour long. Yeah, they do an hour. Episcopal, they, you know, like these kind of churches, they don't do like <laughs> like Baptists do and just have church all day long. Palm Sunday, yeah, yeah, Palm Sunday. But but the thing, the point I want to make is. I think people would not see it as an intrusion or a distraction mm -hmm. from Easter. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I'm glad you brought it up, Kathy, because it would be good to acknowledge mm -hmm. the Christian holiday that mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And we are celebrating. Mm -hmm. And probably in our vision or statement or our call, we should note, make note of that. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm.
Um, okay, so, uh, all right, so that's where we are. Uh, the beginning of the year is upon us, so we're going to have to get really busy. <laughs> Uh, I don't think the Du Bois thing will be that much of a problem. We just have to get the papers together, the pre not papers so much as presentations and uh, so on. Um, the Korea is going to be the, the really big one because we have to, you know, chart new ground. And I'm glad you brought it up, Derek, about the shrine in uh, West Oak Lane. We have to find our way into the Korean community. And we can, and then they're different, and we talked about the generational differences mm -hmm. and so on. And of course, uh, we'll, we'll keep working on that. Okay. okay, now, just a quick thing, world events. As you know, uh, Xi Jinping, the president of China, uh, this past week, starting on Tuesday, uh, uh, spent three days in Saudi Arabia. Yes. And um, and then, you know, it was the meeting with the government of Saudi Arabia. And then he was a part of an Arab summit mm -hmm. and a summit. And then it was a summit of Gulf states, mm -hmm. the Gulf, the Gulf, something council and yeah, gulf mm -hmm. cooperation gulf cooperation which is like kuwait qatar yeah. UAE. uae united arab emirates saudi arabia oman yeah. this group of nations which the united states has has seen as a neo-colonial outpost you know just pump oil and keep your mouth shut. Uh, uh, but um, this, this was a milestone and part of the shift, geostrategic shift oh. for the world is... Uh, Good to see you, man. You look well. You look good, too. Thank you. But, um, um, you know, there's so, so many uh, aspects to this and so many things that are motivating it. Mm -hmm. You know, as, you know, first of all, it was a lavish welcoming of Xi Jinping. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the first time, I really began to appreciate the... Um, what you call it? Um, the spirit of welcome mm -hmm. that at least the Gulf Arabs, the way they, you know, when they are welcoming, mm -hmm. you know, it's just so. Um, I just say, can you help me with this? Uh, it, it, let me use this word. Oh, go ahead. Let me use this word. It's the etiquette mm -hmm. and No, that's right. It it's is adequate. But, and the novel. That's right. But it is etiquette 
but it is specific yeah. to them. Yeah. And you know, we in the United States are presented this stereotype mm -hmm. of the, especially the Gulf Arabs. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, forgive me using this language, mm -hmm. and, and um, Derek, you might remember this. I remember, just like it was yesterday, because it was, mm -hmm. when they would openly refer to Saudis and Omanis and Qataris, you know, uh, as what they call sand niggers. Right. Yes. And they would refer to them as ragheads. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, um, and all of that. And here, when I looked at, um, at least I saw it on YouTube because the U.S. media, the Western media, didn't want to talk about it. Yeah, you know. But here, the president of China visiting not the Middle East but Western Asia. This pan-Asian connection, and um, it was lavish. I mean, it was over the top. It was like each side in celebration, we have found each other. Mm -hmm. did, did you get that feeling? Mm -hmm. And um, many deals were made, not just about oil, because uh, China is Saudi Arabia's largest uh, importer of oil. Mm -hmm. And not only currencies, and this is huge, and I don't know every detail, but they will trade oil in the renminbi, the Chinese currency. Yeah, they officially uh, announced that? Yes. Oh. Yes. I think, yeah. Now, the West is trying, the Western media ain't saying right. what all of this it's was. It's hard to find information. About yes, that. hard <laughs> to find information. And then, that was Saudi Arabia. And then the meeting with Arab states and Arab leaders, including the president of the Palestinian Authority, right. where Xi Jinping right. said that uh, China will always be a friend to the Palestinians. Right. Uh, this is big. Uh, internet, G5, G6 right. Right. technologies, right. AI, robotics, yeah, Huawei. Huawei, yes. Uh, all of this. And um, it's just a new day, a new freedom for the Gulf states. And not just the Gulf states, because Sudan was uh, met with the president of China, Egypt, right, right. Uh, of course, the Palestinians. Jordan. Jordan was there. Oh, yeah, the wow. Is the Syria there? I don't remember if I saw that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Iraq was there. So this is big. Now, you know, I'm just thinking in my head, I'm looking at Mohammed bin Salman, mm -hmm. who was the young leader, the Prince Crown, uh, yeah, founder Prince, Prince of Saudi yeah. Arabia. And um, he's an impressive man, frankly. He's a very serious man. And he's different from what I could see from other leaders of Saudi Arabia. And young, right? He's young, 37 years. But the thing that's so impressive about him, I, I watched him with, with uh, Biden, 
And he looked Biden in the eye with utter contempt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, really. And I'm thinking, I'm saying, yeah, they see what America's financed war against the Palestinians have done, mm -hmm. has done. Mm -hmm. they, they have not forgotten the decimation of Iraq. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, the looting of Iraq by the Americans. Just one thing, I just want just to, and this, I guess, relates to Korea mm -hmm. and this, the brutality of American imperialism. You know, the Iraqi scientists, you know, Iraq is a, was a very developed nation mm -hmm. in terms of science and other things. Mm -hmm. They had collected thousands of seeds going back to the ancient times of wheat, which means that then uh, growing wheat and wheat and bread means something different mm -hmm. in other parts of the world than it means here. For us, it is, you know, white bread or whatever, I don't know. But for them, wheat is a staple. And Iraq had all of these um, seeds mm -hmm. and had, you know, categorized them. Mm -hmm. It was looted mm -hmm. by the Americans mm -hmm. and then substituted with Monsanto mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. I mean, the whole magnitude of the, not to mention what they did in the museums, right. the robbing of the museums of Iraq. Now, I might be a crown prince in Saudi Arabia, but I'm still a dark skinned man mm -hmm. who was made fun of by the West. Mm -hmm. I have forgotten. Mm -hmm. And at the first opportunity, I am going to kick you in the mm -hmm. face. Mm -hmm. And that's what Saudi Arabia is doing. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to see I, I often hear talk of the multipolar world. That's a nice phrase. And it's like, you know, we're all going to get along together, but we're just not going to be under one hegemon. Mm -mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a painful undoing. It is. Of American, we could say hegemony, American imperialism. Mm -hmm. And this is the forced retreat, mm -hmm. which of course, you know, will bring us back to Trump. And, you know, at this point, the left is such a joke. It's such a joke. This, um, because, well, anyway, I, I won't make a big deal of it, but it is clear that the multipolar world is a world that diminishes the Euro-American imperialist uh, system. Mm -hmm. And a new world order is coming about, new technology. And by the way, I didn't Saudi Arabia will be purchasing from China green technologies. And the Saudis have a 10, I think a 2030 yeah. program and it's 50, 2050 program where they will diminish their carbon footprint mm -hmm. almost to zero. Mm -hmm. Now you never hear about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so 
I just wanted to bring that up as a big part mm -hmm. of the forward movement of humanity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, unless, uh, did you want to say anything? They, they have, a, um, I was looking at a lot of the ecological projects mm -hmm. that in the Islamic world, I'm going to use a big book, that the cultural and economical field is, is, is more, it's more inviting in diplomacy than the United States using total brutality. It's so and they don't know how to. Can I, can I interrupt you, Derek? You know, this idea, and this is with Korea, yeah. also with the Arab peoples, yeah. that the way you deal, the way you deal with Arabs yeah. is by force yeah. and murder. Yeah. I mean, I I I don't. You know, I just wanted to. Say, you know, I'm I'm just trying to process it. I know we're talking about it yeah. about Korea yeah. because you know sometimes trauma we internalize it. You know, yeah. and uh, sometimes by internalizing it, we take it out on ourselves. Yeah. But the Arab and they had. I remember American policymakers saying that the way you deal with Arabs mm -hmm. is by force and murder. And that that's the sine qua non of the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. That's why they have no moral authority yeah. to speak about anything. But anyway, we'll come back, we'll talk about that at the Church of the Overcomer. Go ahead. You know, when I was King Fazl, some of my first books, mm -hmm. and I wasn't an international student all the time, mm -hmm. but it was one of the first international books that was that was put in my hand. Mm -hmm. Kind of King Faisal and the Young Crown Prince. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you, I was talking to one of the mans that I said that it's hard to get that distinguished family member, that one out of a lot of the sons and daughters too. And that one takes a lot of traditional for some certain amount of years, and then the, the, the economic and political window, he could talk to China, the young crown prince, or anybody. I think he don't have to rely on the United States, Harvard, or Yale, or this kind of stuff. And you know something, Derek, this is very important. I remember, I still remember, you know, Porter and I were talking about this also. You know, you know, a lot of this Afrocentrism, which is a recent development. By the way, I'll talk about this at the Church of the Overcomer. You know, this Afrocentrism is an attack upon the Black prophetic tradition. Mm -hmm. One thing about the nation of Islam, yeah. they do not attack Christianity. In fact, they see Christianity as a trajectory towards Islam, and Islam is still in process. It's in the Bible. It's in the Quran. That's right. That's right. This is in the Quran. But, uh, Torah, mm -hmm. in, in, in the angel. Yeah. But in the what, Quran. The thing I wanted to say, and I forgot what I was trying to say. Yeah, the attack upon the prophetic tradition, but also, you know, when we did the, the China conference, we were getting certain pushback. That's not Black. Right. That's not black. Right, right. Well, no, it's not black. But one thing is certain, and they, the Saudis and the Arabs know it. China never colonized any Arabs, never colonized any Africans. 
You see what I'm saying? Uh, and and as you were saying, um, Muhammad bin Salman and his generation, and even probably the previous ones, knew. Well, they were locked into the Cold War because of all of their, you know, the, trying to develop whatever. So they took a side in the Cold War. They took the American side, you know. But they were on the side of the nations that colonized them, that waged Christian crusades against them. You see what I'm saying? Russia and China never colonized Africa or what is called the Middle East. So one could see when Xi Jinping came to Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia, that he was not seen as a part of the legacy of colonization, but he could come without the moral baggage of racism and white supremacy that was used against mm -hmm. the Arab people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. Uh, well, I had a question, I guess, mm -hmm. for both of you, if you know, but part of the, at least in the West, the criticism of the Saudis is one, like their suppression of journalists, <laughs> and also the. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm but pick myself up off the floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Suppression of okay, good. I'm sorry. But, I mean that, like the, the narrative. Yeah, we got all the freedom of speech you could ever rely on. But um, <laughs> also, like the the war on Yemen, right. I yeah. guess. And so that's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think that like the strengthening of ties with Saudi Arabia, with like Russia and China? would help to push that towards mm -hmm. like a more, mm -hmm. I don't know, peaceful mm -hmm. resolution? Because I mean, the whole criticism, yeah. like from many on the left was that, mm -hmm. at least in the US was like, oh, Joe Biden is funding like the Saudi war on Yemen mm -hmm. and all these things. Yeah. But I don't know, I, I, I don't know that much about like what kinds of deals were made with yeah. Xi Jinping in, mm -hmm. in Saudi Arabia, but mm -hmm. I, I guess that's a question we have. It's like, can this help? Well, I wanted to say, and then coming to your question, but mm -hmm. I wanted to say also that um, this is very significant because uh, basically the U.S., uh, particularly Saudi Arabia relationship, and to some extent maybe the other Gulf and Arab mm -hmm. countries, but especially the U.S.-Saudi relationship, and it's called Saudi Arabia because it's named after the family that rules wow. it, the House of Saud. Mm -hmm. Right, which is actually a tribe, but you know, what family. yeah, and then that ideology. Yeah. So, anyway, for, on a multiple levels, it's been very important for central to U.S. imperialism. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the most basic level with the dollar, the fact that they are. Um, I mean, I think now they say that maybe they have the second largest oil reserves, but I think when you factor in like ability to process oil and everything, it's like still pretty much the most important yeah. oil producing country, uh, Saudi Arabia. So the fact that they were trading the oil in dollars was very central to the dollar being the reserve currency and what they call the petrodollar. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, like uh, Derek was saying, uh, the fact that they were able to promote an extremist uh, version of Islam and use it uh, for anti-communist reasons mm -hmm. and to further um, U.S. Uh, imperialism mm -hmm. throughout the world, especially the Muslim world, because the fact that um, the the holiest uh, sites in Islam, the pilgrimage sites are in Saudi Arabia, so they have a certain prestige in the uh, Muslim world, and uh, people like Muslim clerics come there to study and so on from all over uh, the world. So that's, you know, the second factor. 
Um, and so the fact that that relationship is breaking up is extremely significant. And as you were saying, um, I mean, this relationship basically goes back to around the 1920s. And just like in 1885, there was the Berlin Conference to carve up Africa after World War One, because remember uh, the Ottoman Empire, which uh, ruled the Middle East, what we call the Middle East, was on the losing side of Germany. So there was the Sykes-Picot Agreement where the British and French carved up what we call the Middle East into all these countries, mm -hmm. Syria, Palestine, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the U.S. and the Western relationship with them goes back then. And even these other small, there's so many of these small Gulf countries because they were all outposts created by the British, like Oman, Kuwait, mm -hmm. etc. Mm -hmm. um, so, but then even uh, during the Cold War, I mean, the Saudis went on the U.S. side, but mm -hmm. after, I think it was the 73 Arab-Israeli War, the then king, that Derek was talking about, King Faisal of Saudi Arabia, he decided to participate in an oil uh, embargo against mm -hmm. the West for supporting Israel because of domestic pressure yeah. and so on. And he was assassinated. They killed him. Yeah, they killed him. Yes. Nephew killed him. And then uh, even before, even prior to that, there was a movement of free princes who were inspired by Nasser, who were trying to take Saudi a different direction, who were repressed. And even the stuff with Yemen goes back to that point because Yemen was moved in a more uh, progressive direction and so on. So anyway, that is to say that even though the, the royal family uh, was tied in with US imperialism, there are always these points where there was uh, attempts to break off from it. Um, and then when you move forward to this uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, also known by his acronym MBS, uh -huh. he, um, I think he represents a different generation because he's in his 30s. And he also realizes that the amount of oil they have is limited. Absolutely. And which is part of why he has that 2050 plan to try to reorient the mm -hmm. economy of Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. towards different things like green technology, tourism, mm -hmm. other other things. Mm -hmm. And he's even changing some of their um, uh, cultural, their, some of their laws, which are very socially conservative. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest uh, mistake he's made uh, is this war in Yemen, which Absolutely. he lost. I think it's been about 10 years that it's been going on. And it is only been possible because of uh, the support of the U.S. and the Western countries. Um, but I, I do think that the fact that the set of contradictions that he's trying to resolve, which is pushing him towards um, China and also as well as Russia, mm -hmm. uh, will lead to some kind of uh, improvement in that situation. Because also their main thing has been a conflict with Iran also. And that and that is the, if I might just say something about Yemen, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, Prior to the end of the Cold War, there were two Yemeni states, mm -hmm. North and South. Mm -hmm. The South mm -hmm. was the more revolutionary right. and socialist right. Yemen. Right. Right. It is with the end of the Cold War and the fact that there was no longer a, a big power to, to support the South, mm -hmm. that it was you know, mm -hmm. uh, taken over by the North. And the Civil War mm -hmm. is like Sudan. Uh, women hold it. And the Civil War is a continuation of that battle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a proxy war mm -hmm. against Iran. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> this is why this is actually uh, it's such a beautiful thing to see, because when Saudi Arabia says it wants to join the BRICS nation, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, who else is in BRICS? Iran. <laughs> You know, right. and Russia. So, so an alliance with China mm -hmm. is a move towards peace 
generally. Mm -hmm. See, it's an anti-imperialist alliance. It is not just, I think we should uh, be clear for ourselves that it's not just, and then, I mean, the beginning of a multipolar world. Mm -hmm. I guess diplomats can talk like right, that. Right, right. It is really the beginning right. of a world that is turning against U.S. imperialism. Right, right, That's right, why the Korean right. conference right, is right. going to be very important yeah. as a node, a moment in this process. And, you know, also mm -hmm. the, um, they call it the Gulf states because of yes. the Persian Gulf, but it's also yes. basically very connected to the Horn of Africa. Absolutely. Right? All the Ethiopia, Somalia. And they all Sudan. look the same. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. It's, you know, it's so interesting. But before the Suez Canal in the 1850s, it was all connected. Right, right, right. But right, right. we'll come back to this. Right, but right. And also, Saudi Arabia something. has a lot of influence on uh, India and Pakistan. So There's a deep economic mm -hmm. relationship. Really? Yeah. This is ancient trade. Yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. Yeah, just um, this also kind of makes you think about the World Cup that's going on right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was getting my phone fixed at a neighborhood phone repair shop, and the guy there was saying how proud he was. He didn't get to see much of the matches, but just how um, the image of these countries that typically we think of Muslim, Muslim nations oh, yeah. that, that part of the world as horseback riding and, you know, people living in tents mm -hmm. and like, um, so he was just really happy that, you know, people could see that. And I wish I'd asked him where he was from because he was, he was saying, you know, my people are, are able to be seen with, you know, this development and this, you know, this dignity. Um, and it's also interesting too, because um, the United States and the West have very much tried to use the World Cup in a very political way. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they tried to have their players wear the rainbow flag. And Germany, I know the German team did a, yeah. did a uh, certain uh, protest. They lost. Um, they lost. Okay. And, and for the most part, a lot of these attention, they had to pretty much shut their mouth and wear the normal flag that they're supposed to wear and just go about, you know, so in that, in that way, it's very much... It's telling that, that the United States and these powers it's in the Middle Eastern of quote it's in Middle Qatar, East, right? An yeah. Arab nation, right? And they they're going to try to insult them right. and right. put their you know yeah. it's just and, the, and a lot oh, of the narrative from mean, here around it is oh they use slave labor to build the stadiums yeah. and they hate uh, LGBT rights and it's well, never about well, how much things. did they have to pay you guys to even have it in the first place? Right, right, like, right, right, that that whole conversation is lost, but but just the fact that they have to be there. And 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 the people are shown in this way that they have something to offer the world yeah. is in itself, even if it doesn't break through the Western lens, the rest of the world can see that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it has broken through certain extent to the Western lens, because even I think I read it in a, an article in the New York Times where they said the winners. Mm -hmm. Are the Palestinians? Yeah, that's that's yeah. I was watching some kind of compilation of an Israeli reporter trying to get people to talk to him, and nobody would do. Oh, you're from Israel? Bye. You know, like yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're sort of seeing this this um, yes. break off in this sort mm -hmm. of. Um, Yes. Yeah, this island that America and Israel yes. and the West are becoming more yes. and more. And this this is a fundamental attack upon white supremacy, right. which right. was never right. just an American yeah. affair, yeah. but it was always global. Yeah. Yeah. And this is- and, a, and we've talked about how this rainbow flag and this LGBT yeah. movement yeah. is yeah. very much masked under this idea to project Western superiority. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And that's pretty, Absolutely. pretty stark in the context yes. of the entire World Cup. Where and this idea that the only 
source of freedom is the Western world. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If, if your women can't wear mini skirts, they must be oppressed. Yeah, they must be. <laughs> <laughs> so, if your men can't wear them, right. <laughs> your standards. Right. I guess you would say women are men at all. Go ahead, Jared. I'm just gonna read like a few comments. Okay. Um, uh, Todd Doherty says, good morning, free school. Uh, Virginia Cott says, good morning from LA. Uh, she says that China and Saudi Arabia are part of BRICS, like we were saying, um, and that the US and NATO are, quote, white countries. Anyone who refuses to go along is non-white, and so Putin is an honorary non-white. Um, but she also said that it seems like something about a bipolar world. Um, maybe she didn't explain, but maybe potentially like US China. Yeah, there is, yeah, in this, in these poll talking about polarities, single pole, multipole, which is a way of not talking about the real issues, of course. Mm -hmm. But uh, some, you know, you hear commentary in Western media about, well, it's not becoming multipolar, it's becoming bipolar. The West, uh, the West versus the rest mm -hmm. of the world. Yeah, but yeah, I, I know she, uh, she's coming from, yes. Okay, anybody else want to? Before? When you're saying, when you're kind of, uh, you know, somewhat, you're, you're, you're arguing that the multipolar, uh, you know, kind of phrase doesn't really capture the mm -hmm. full reality, but are you saying that it's a way to try to, it kind of glossing over the fact that you have to overcome imperialism, confront imperialism in order to achieve something like that? And this is absolutely, and this is what politically, when in our discussions about the Korea mm -hmm. conference, we're trying to figure out our language and how mm -hmm. to talk about that because the unification of the Korean Peninsula would be an achievement of anti-imperialism. Mm -hmm. right, right, right. And there is, and just like Nuri said, we just can't talk about any of these issues. The occupation, the military occupation of South Korea. Right, right, right. And I mean, it ain't just a passive thing. You know, what it has done to the culture, to the civilization, I mean, it's just, let's be very clear. These, these U.S. military, like in Okinawa, mm -hmm. these U.S. military bases have promoted prostitution, mm -hmm. drugs, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a Western set of values and lifestyles mm -hmm. that are alien to the people themselves. Mm -hmm. So um, this, it's a more total thing than just a new, you know, different right, polar, right, multipolar. Right, right, right. It is people reclaiming their civilizations, right. their dignity. Right. And that's what Mohammed bin Salman right. represents, right. a more dignified, first of all, he's tall right. Right. and he's very Saudi, you know, in his dress and he's unapologetic. It is a really, uh, to see civilizations <laughs> reclaim themselves yeah. and and modernize themselves, yeah. and of course, to hear the Arab language in its many dialects, mm -hmm. just like to hear the Korean language, mm -hmm. to hear the Chinese language, mm -hmm. to see all of this is a wonderful moment in history. Uh, we've. We're going to talk about the darkness of uh, of so many of the U.S. quote left scholars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
It's what he's doing is not even supposed to happen. Yeah. No, it's yeah. what he's representing. <laughs> right, right. And uh, I might just say it's a cultural genius, but right. not a genius for like exploiting all the time. Right. And what he kind of like, I'm not going to shoot him like a meteor right now, but he could be he could be the rise. It's like a rising or something. Right. Right. Yes, right. it's something a new, a new something new. Right. Right. Alphanonym of this free school. And being able to, I, I'm using my way of physics to equate this with the certain kind of risings of like he's using career, which I'm kind of fundamentally alert about because of the schools and the interpenetration of the deeper traditions that some students can house in themselves if the moment they want to really learn. Yeah. It represents a, 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 a learning then civilization absolutely asking. Absolutely. Uh, like a, I, I would say I have Confucian, some Confucian traditions, not because I'm addressed as one, but <laughs> yeah. it can it could be satisfying when you've been robbed out of everything. Right. Yeah, yeah. You want to be robbed out of everything? Leave out your house with the things that part of like our, might be the natural organic inheritance. So I'm used to hearing about Korea. It's not like foreign. I'm used to hearing big window pictures of China. It's not foreign to me. It, been, it stopped being foreign to me. Mm -hmm. But in the Islamic world, I call it Islamic world university schools, people meet and greet each other with civilized behavior. That's right. Mm -hmm. And you know, Derek, that's what I was trying to get across when I said the way the Saudi Arabians treated uh, Xi Jinping as a friend and the generosity of the way they welcomed people into their country and into their home. And you saw, at least I, what I felt is that it was not just a formal thing, excuse me, but it was deeply felt. Um, and, um, and it's almost as though two Brothers and sisters right. saying we've been separated yeah. for too long. Y'all went into the nation. Oh, well, let me let me just let Nori come in quick. Yeah, because I think that was part of Jeremiah was saying at the beginning, where with the American people, there's a struggle for the people themselves to actually know one another yeah. without it being mediated or controlled by like basically ruling class propaganda. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like the ruling elite of the United States has done it to the American people themselves, but it's also done it all around the world. And so. I feel like this new world order that is the overcoming of imperialism will allow people to actually know and learn about one another yeah. directly yeah. and in their own interests without it being controlled by yeah like imperialism Go ahead, Emily. yeah it was also I like the history about Saudi Arabia too and this new leader because I feel like this is something free school has been trying to say for a while but it's only clicking for me now this thing about generations like I feel like there's something about this moment, this generation, where like for, cause it reminded me of a speech Xi Jinping gave, like it must've been a few years ago where he said, he was talking about the band on the spirit, but he was making this point where he said like, there's a concept in China where the calendar is like every 60 years, like a complete cycle of 60 years. And he was saying, he's like, it's been, oh, it's been about 60 years since the Bandung conference. And he was like, we in China believe that we're coming full circle. Yeah. The Bandung spirit, like now is the time for it to come back. And like, it's almost like 
these 60 years where the U.S. has so brutally suppressed what could have been in Bendang, like it can't, it's like we've been saying, like the center cannot hold, it cannot hold. Mm -hmm. And here is like, here's the inevitable rise mm -hmm. of what has always had to be like, what has always had to have happened, which is like the end of colonialism, neo-colonialism of all yeah. forms, imperialism yeah. of all forms. Like, it doesn't matter what country, how different the cultures are, the civilizations are, like a people want to be a people. <laughs> and you see yes. a generation of leaders, like the 30 year olds in Saudi Arabia, yes. like Korea. I feel yes. like there's a generation of young Koreans who are like, why are we not unified? Like, <laughs> why are we constantly being threatened to be pulled into a war that's not our own in Asia? Or even in Taiwan, where there's definitely generations who are like, they just had their elections where they voted against Man. the progressive party who are actually anti-China. And the elections were overwhelmingly against this progressive party yeah. because people don't want war. They're like, why are we, why are why is a party that's like technically part of Taiwan wanting to drag our people into a war that's not our interest? Man. And so, and then even connecting it to Kanye. Like, I feel like even in America, you're seeing the rise of a new generation of young people who are like, I'm tired of not knowing myself. I'm tired of you telling me who I am. Like, I like am finding my voice and I'm learning how to speak, how to know again. And like, I feel like even across the whole world, you're getting a sense of like a people, like a new generation, like who maybe are going to fulfill the Bandung spirit that was squashed down so brutally. Um, but I feel like I only connected that because you were talking about this 30-something-year-old um, Saudi leader. And it, it was really beautiful. Like, people were talking about even analyzing the color of the carpet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Saudi Arabia never pulls out the purple carpet. Whoa. The purple carpet is kind of horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they pulled it for um, China. And then someone made a compilation showing that whenever the U.S. visited Saudi, there was no carpet at all. <laughs> They're only it's an interesting contrast because I remember with George W. Bush, which is like I guess how long ago, yeah. maybe 20 years ago at this point. But George W. Bush used to be like, oh, the Bush family and the Saudi family, we're like one family. <laughs> like, the Saudi ambassador to the U.S. when 9-11 happened, his name was uh, Prince Bandar. So like, he'd be called Bandar Bush. He's so close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, you know, but now it's different. And he lived <laughs> you know? in Texas. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the Bush family is also in the oil business yeah. and all that Thieves. stuff. Yeah, yeah, but you know, but things change. Yes, and, yeah. ap apropos the concept of a sixty-year cycle, mm -hmm. there is um, I don't know how well known uh, it is. The Kondratiev. Yeah, the Kondratiev long wave theory, That's and he true. and he has a seventy-five-year right, cycle. Right, right. Um, and I found it in some ways to be clarifying, you know. Uh, it's almost a recognition that contradictions must play themselves out. Mm -hmm. You cannot just force things because you want them yeah. to be a certain way. Right, right. And in the process, there'll be tremendous suffering, mm -hmm. tremendous suffering, sadly, unnecessarily. But um, things must uh, go their course. And so this Kondratiev, um, 
don't ask me how to spell his name. I forget, but Kondratia. It's K-O-N-D-R-A-T-I-E. I think it's a T. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's a Russian name. He's a Russian. Long wave theory. Um, but I, I agree with you. And there is a great it's deal. A, it's a, it's a, I, I understand how you say it. I, I, could take my, I could take my own age yeah. and my awareness that when I was 10. Stay out of my and I was 60. You know, that, that the, principle, the principle exists. But the principle exists because we ain't going to, we, well, we, we refuse to believe we could be operating in higher physics. And how, but we, but we, because we think we ain't been, no, you ain't been with no professors nowhere joining on the board in front of you. But it's not like the dynamic is not in front of you. Right, it's just, right. it's just not perceived the same way as the way the, the burglar is stealing. And I see him stealing. The, the language that he's doing it, it look invisible. So I write it out for you because I can see that they're using different kind of form. It's a form of communication. Yeah, that's right. And it's a higher form of writing. It's a higher form of your being reacting to, you know, lines of force or lines of reason or paths of thought that seem to be following. But you know something. But by the way, if I might just uh, yeah. add on to what you're saying, you know, don't forget. Um, well, the two. Uh, Two things that I'm fond of quoting recently, you know, Gramsci, mm -hmm. the old is dying, but the new cannot yet be born. Well, the old is dying and the new is being born, right, 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 you know? Right, right. And the other thing is William Butler Yeats, yes. the poem of uh, the yeah. second coming, yes. where he says, um, the um, things fall apart and the center will not hold, which is a way of saying, that the ruling class cannot rule mm -hmm. because it rules from the vital center. They call it the vital mm -hmm. center. Mm -hmm. If the center cannot hold, they cannot rule. Right. And right. if, right. because this is an empire, this is an imperialist empire, if they cannot hold the quote Middle East, their name, yeah. Mm -hmm. The Arab people did not call themselves Middle Eastern. Mm -hmm. They called themselves either Asians, Arabs, or Africans. Mm -hmm. But the, if the center cannot hold internationally, it all falls apart. Mm -hmm. And that's the election of George Bush. Mm -hmm. It was that. I, mm -hmm. I don't see how you can make any other argument. Mm -hmm. Pardon me, George. I meant uh, Joe Biden. They're <laughs> <laughs> both kind of foe, you know. But um, I, I just want quick point. Just this thing, and you can almost, as we talk about it, you can almost visualize it. Just so if you, this young Mohammed bin Salman, this young Kim Jong Un, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. A quite courageous person. You know, but um, everybody's young, right. you know, <laughs> and the old is dying and the new is being born and the center will not hold. Things are falling apart, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So history is moving forward. History the is the end of history. The, the, yeah, <laughs> this is the end of history, the old history. And this is. You know, you, you find this in the in the black prophetic tradition also, mm -hmm. the book of Revelations. Um, 
but we'll talk about that later on today. <laughs> but um, maybe we'll get to Black Reconstruction. I, I just wanted to ask, uh, well, I know Nuri uh, is doing a lot of reading of Eric Foner, but I wanted to ask uh, Jeremiah, I don't know how many people received the essay from the Boston Review that Jerry, Jeremiah shared with us, but it's about, pardon me, uh, Gerald Horn and his theory, uh, as this author claims, quote, his unified theory of American and uh, I guess even Western hemispheric history. So maybe Jerry can say something about that, that article. I don't know who else, has anybody else had a chance to look at it? This as a, uh, as it lays a foundation for the importance of reading Black Reconstruction. Yeah, I'm just gonna post a link in the comments. But um, yeah, so it was just an article I happened to come across called The Long American Counter-Revolution. Um, and the sort of subheading is, Historian Gerald Horn has developed a grand theory of US history as a series of devastating backlashes to progress right down to the present day. And it's essentially a review- A series of what's it again? A series of devastating backlashes to progress right down to the present day. Yeah, could you, let's just look at that because that, yeah. uh, that may be stands <laughs> at um, A series of devastating black lashes, Backlash. backlashes <laughs> to progress. Right. So basically American, so American history is defined, defined by these moments of counter-revolution. Yes. Right, right, right. And uh, a backlash right, yeah. to human progress. Right, right. In other words, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. The long American. Yeah. 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 But I, I just, I thought it was interesting that they were framing it as a grand theory right. of US history. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, this is like all you need to know. Like, this explains everything about American this history. This is Black Reconstruction. Yeah. This is, like, you don't need Black Reconstruction. But like, yeah. but, like, um, <laughs> but the article, it's a, it's a review and commentary on Horn's new book called The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas yeah. Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots yeah. of U.S. Right. Fascism. Right. So I think this is like the work where Gerald Horn is most uh, sort of specifically trying to address the rise of Trump and mm -hmm. what explains the rise of Trump, because it's saying like the roots of US fascism. Um, and I think actually a lot of like current historical work in the academy these days is basically trying to explain the rise of Trump. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, like the, it's a really long article because it also just talks about the controversy surrounding Gerald Horn, how he's received a lot of backlash from a lot of historians, um, like the connection with the 1619 project. Um, but there's, yeah, there's like an interesting, it's interesting because it's like very clearly defending Gerald Horn's thesis of American history, which says essentially that America from its inception with the like Revolutionary War of 1776, that this was actually a counter-revolution and that America is fundamentally what, like a right-wing country. And so all sort of theses of American politics and American history has to proceed from that 
thesis that Gerald Horn is presenting. And there's a lot of uh, critiques in the article, which is voicing Gerald Horn, um, of like the sort of standard Marxist view of American history or of, like the old communist left and how they viewed like whether 1776 or just America mm -hmm. in general. Um, so yeah, like, and, and then one of the first paragraphs, the author says, um, Marxists have long kept a cordon sanitaire around the American Revolution, focusing instead on the resulting nation's imperialism. Their inquiries are dominate, were dominated by the French, Russian, and decolonizing revolutions. The real problem may have been the inability to see counter-revolution as something that could happen here. Um, so he's basically saying that Marxists have basically like not wanted to talk about the American Revolution and instead have viewed it as like a either a revolution of contradictions or a kind of proto like anti-colonial revolution in some ways. Um, but then he says like Gerald Horn is like the leading historian who has been pushing like a new way of viewing American history. Um, and it kind of celebrates like Horn's way of doing history, which is um, to basically collect a lot of arbitrary and random or obscure facts that no one else knows about mm -hmm. and to put and to leverage those facts towards supporting a larger ideological argument um and yeah i won't get into all of it but the reason why the book is focused on texas is mm -hmm. that horn is making the argument that the so people don't know texas it like sort of declared itself as its own republic for like a couple decades or Maybe like two decades or something. And it only a decade. Yeah, it was very short-lived in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. um, and Horn is saying that uh, that the Texas Republic was founded as a sort of pro-slavery republic, and that this is rather than seeing this as an exception to the formation of America and what America is, that the Texas Republic represents actually the essence of America more broadly. Um, and that rather than being an exception, that it proves the rule of um, how we understand American history. Um, yeah, so it says, like, like no one else who writes about the American Revolution or the Civil War, Horn has now combined his Black Marxist internationalism <laughs> and his realism as a historian of empire, building out, building out of it the rudiments of a grand theory of U.S. history, of all of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, further down... Um, he says, the author says, most of all, Horn is breaking out of a certain hardline Marxist reluctance to view the United States as anything but capitalism liberated from feudal restraints. Um, and then he says, that rigid attitude isn't exactly popular among US socialists today. It hasn't been since at least the 1960s, since uh, Cedric Robinson's Black Marxism book gained a wide audience, but it still exerts a historiographic pressure and rears its head in perennial debates over the relation between race and class. Horn's strategy isn't to repudiate Marxism, but to invoke Marxist theory of political reaction, the Marx of the 18th Brumaire. Um, and then he says, if revolution is defined as not necessarily successful liberatory struggles built from below, aided by outside forces in a world of competing empires, and counter-revolution is what shuts it down, when fascism is a politics that sacrifices everything to the unity and the rule of the blood-defined class. Racial capitalism with few restraints. So basically, fascism is racial capitalism without restraints, and that America is a racial capitalist system. Um, and yeah, and then he says later on, um, 
yeah, that, that for his part, Thorne is at his most persuasive in stressing the long origins and long effects of what happened with the Texas Revolution in 1836. <laughs> and he's very clear that the implications for our times are disturbing. The United States is, quote, fundamentally right wing because of this legacy, he concludes, so much so that, quote, traditional political labels tend to lose meaning. We couldn't be much further from hoary invocations of American liberalism, but that's what's so valuable here as that um, that American liberalism is unable to grapple with racial domination as anything other than irony, contradiction, or paradox. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's a very long essay, yeah. but a lot of it is defending foreign in the contemporary climate, but positioning foreign as like the leading theorist of a new way of understanding, new yeah. a new paradigm for how we understand yeah. like the development of American yeah. history. Yeah, see, uh, if I could just say something, um, <laughs> I'm not a great reader, I have to tell you. I'm too emotional. So, uh, and this, this, this essay is like Horn's writing, which this author acknowledges, because he asked the question, how can serious scholarship result in a book every year? Right, you know, right, right. there are people who devote their entire careers to the study of Texas, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this huge state, mm -hmm. or whatever. But Horn seems to be able to write a book a year, mm -hmm. or publish a book a year. And then when he's not writing on history, he's doing a book on boxing or jazz. Mm -hmm. And the author, you know, while raising the author of this essay, while raising that says, well, he doesn't question the uh, rigor and um, uh, of the writing and of the theses of each book, because he probably hasn't read them. Mm -hmm. But what he questions is the poor writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it is very poorly written, even though he has uh, editors. But that's one of the pitfalls of writing in academic publishers, mm -hmm. publishing in an academic press or in a, a non-mainstream. Uh, the editing is very poor and the fact checking is very bad. That's why a lot of people uh, would prefer, and that doesn't mean that the, the what they call the trade presses like Random House and so on, they're no walking, no great thing. But when I was saying this to Michelle the other day, we were talking about um, some book. But when a book is published by a trade publisher, big publishing house, oh, we're talking about Eric Foner's mm -hmm. Reconstruction, which remains in publication after almost 40 years, 35 years, sure. constantly in publication. Mm -hmm. Well, and a book like that, if a, if a big publisher accepts it, they give you a big... Um, upfront money. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was speculating mm -hmm. that today's money, it would be mm -hmm. something like over a million dollars. For which one? The phoner? Your phoner. Mm -hmm. you got over, you, well, you got a couple hundred thousand wow. dollars back then. Wow. For an they, academic book. No, 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 no. It's it's see, it's There's academic press, right? No, no, no. Oh, Random no. house. Oh, really? Oh, no, wow. no check, just check check it out right quick. No, that is see, and when you get yeah, like that. 
uh, it's not like NYU Press right. mm -hmm. or international publishers. Mm -hmm. right. You know, it's like them hiring me part time to do editing, copy editing. Right. Anybody that would hire me to do that is slumming. <laughs> you know, I'm not, but you see, what I'm saying uh, there they'll put two editors full time, not to mention fact checker and yeah. review right. peer reviews right. and all that kind of stuff. Still, Eric Foner's book is garbage, right. but ideologically and, and, and in its form, you can't contest it. Right. With Horn, it's poor writing, uh, and they bring up, uh, Danny had brought this up too. Uh, I forget the way, what, how did he say something that he does? Um, something, he always, it's something that he does grammatically, Horn does, and it's always the same. And any good editor, copy editor, would straighten that out. Yeah. But it's not straightened out. So there's a lot of, I mean, when you're just writing, right, uh, book a book a year, book a month, and all of that, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. No one can. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? It's flaws. It's And in the uh, counter-revolution of 1776, it is... It is so flawed as to make it useless. In other words, he's making the claim, and this is very important, which is not a new claim, that the slaves resisted. Mm -hmm. Du Bois makes this claim as early as his dissertation in the 1890s. Right. The slaves resisted. And that's why Du Bois will come up with the thing that the slaves were workers. It was a class resistance. Mm -hmm. In embryo form, you, you understand? They resisted. There is no two ways about it. The only historiography that says they didn't is a white supremacist historiography. But most of us said the opposite. Right. The Haitian Revolution is a manifestation of the highest manifestation of slave resistance. Mm -hmm. Cool. But then the next question is who, what, what, and who were they resisting? So for Horn, the who were the American revolutionaries right. who turn out not to be revolutionaries, but counter-revolutionaries. Right. Now, in, in Horn's construal, right. everyone that knows that much about the American Revolution, that, by, by the way, that's why no serious historical engagement with the work took place until the time of the 1619 project, which is Gerald Horn in popular format, you know? But then when it was looked at, and it takes place on this uh, World website. Oh yeah, they world mentioned world. in the article. Yeah. They 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 mentioned that yeah. you know everyone from like popular historians to the World Socialist yeah. website and the trots, kind, yeah, kind yeah. of portrayed yeah. like fringe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah yes, fringe. Yeah. But all of you know the sixteen nineteen project. They were the first. That's true. Yeah. A group of of uh, of historians, you know, academic historians said the sixteen nineteen project. Is flawed. It's not true. It's not right. 
The Boston Review article says historians of a paler shade. Yeah, that's all because I mean most of them were white and then they're like, yeah, Nicole Hannah Jones, this is whatever is black. John black yeah. Yeah. Blah, 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 you black know, black yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's Joe Horn's argument. Right. You all are just supposing me right. because I am opposing white supremacy right. as right. the right. fundamental character of American history. Right, right, right. See, his claim is is that, and this guy, I don't know who this writer, he's as simple as Joe Horn is. Yeah. I mean, you, like I'm saying, you read it, I'm, I, maybe I'll spare a lot of you all the agony of it. You just can't read it straight, because it's so, just a cat, like we used to have a thing in the blues song, you say, his, your mind is on vacation and your mouth is working overtime. So, <laughs> In times like this, I either turn to the black prophetic tradition or the blues. It might be the, I mean, the guy's just talking to you know, will you shut up? <laughs> you know, and just I mean, I, honestly, I don't want to make, but what they are claiming is that all previous theories of American history were overly optimistic, did not see fascism coming, and et cetera. And the reason they were overly optimistic is because they saw the American Revolution as a revolution rather than a counter-revolution. Hence, if you remember in this essay, this guy, he dropped, but he doesn't say shit. He says, the American Revolution and the Civil War have to be rethought. Mm -hmm. Because what he is arguing, and this is Horn's argument, and remember, we talked about, that's why Horn cannot be comfortable with Black Reconstruction. He is phil philosophically and ideologically at odds with it. And he does not have the decency or good faith to say, look, I disagree with Du Bois. Won't say it, but you do disagree in fundamentals with Du Bois. He is arguing, I mean, this, okay, let us say for argument's sake, we accept Horn's argument, only for argument's sake, that 1776 was a counter-revolution and that the anti-slave forces were the British crown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's even hard to accept for argument's sake, that the revolutionary forces in 1776 was the British crown. Okay, let's accept that. I mean, that's a bit of... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a lot to accept when you think about it. <laughs> I mean, that would be great news to the Indians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if we had just stayed with the British, we'd been well. Well, by the way, that's what uh, that's what Magna and Raju's essay are showing. Yeah. Damn, y'all got Gerald Horn in India. <laughs> you know. But. Let's accept that. But then the Civil War is also a counter-revolution. Right. Not to say that there was not a counter-revolution. Mm. That is to say that the ongoing struggle for revolutionary transformation 
is an ongoing struggle. Then this guy, I mean, who is this guy? This nut. He's going to drop Marx's eight, uh, 18th Brumaire of Louis Bonaparte. Now, hometown, if you're going to drop it, drop it right at least. <laughs> I understand what I'm right, right, right. That's also popular now with Trump. A lot of people invoke that against, of, against Trump, the 18th Brumaire. Okay. Trying to say Trump is Louis Napoleon and love. Okay. Yeah. Louis, you know, Louis, after Napoleon, there were many people who claimed the right to the throne, and they would be Napoleonic or claim to be. Uh, Napoleon III, Napoleon whatever, you know what I'm saying? And and that's and this is where this guy says, Mark said, history first appears as tragedy, then as farce. Mm -hmm. Dog, if you're going to drop it, explain how you dropping it. Right, right. Just right. don't drop something. Right, drop. Right. It's like, you know, <laughs> drop in the middle of Texas. <laughs> you drop it in the <laughs> middle of Texas. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I just can't just, you know, that kind of what we call, we would call it dilettantism. Right, right, right. You don't really know what you're talking about, but you want to appear to be cute. Right. Oh, I'm hip. I'm, I'm dropping, right. I'm going to drop some marks on you. And I know you ain't read it. And you ain't going to read it. You know, most of the readers are dilettantes. False reviews. That's some dilettantes. You have peer reviews, then you got dilettante reviews. It's a dilettante. You know what a dilettante is a person that appears to be something. A sophist is your quintessential dilettante. You know, I'm just, I'm always the devil's advocate. That's what sophistry is. I don't care about the truth. I'm just going to argue to, for argument's sake, and we can drag this out for the next 200 years, and nothing gets resolved. <laughs> go, go ahead. No, I just wanted to uh, point to this one line oh, that ahead. I found so egregious. I mean, egregious. the thing that... <laughs> Just, just like reading it, I read it twice trying to understand what you're trying to say. And he says this thing like because you were saying that you not only attacked the revolution of 1776, but also the civil war. And he says this, casting the US civil war as a second good revolution, mm -hmm. yeah. a resolution of unfinished business that finally ended slavery, how stubborn it proved and created a real nation state leaves many questions unanswered. And this is the part that right. is really bad. And he says... If revolutionary era ideas and civil war identities are so powerful and bent so decisively toward justice, why are the wrong ones willing? I mean, yeah. you know, this is basically, I was trying to make sense. Most yeah. of this article doesn't make sense of me, except yeah. like broad idea that he wants to uh, establish Gerald Horn as some kind of god right. who we are just supposed to believe now yeah. and not question. Because he's doing things in a quirky new way. <laughs> and But then, you know, what he's saying here, what it seemed to me is that this is like a backward analysis, like go analyzing American history. Right. Go back backwards. Like you, you have right, right, an right, idea right, right. about what the democratic or, you know, the progressive stand should be today. And because it is not that, 
That is why all of American history. Right, 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 That's the argument. There's no other point to it right. but an ideological point. Right, right, yeah. Right. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Anna. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, like, first of all, wouldn't that be teleology? Yes. yes. Say right. like, that again. Wouldn't that be like teleology? Yeah, exactly. Well, the other thing I was wondering is that, well, I was wondering about, like, the, because I was thinking about that essay that you wrote about logic. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it seems that based on what Jeremiah had said earlier, it's just Daryl Horn is someone who already he already has a narrative which he's not honest about. Mm -hmm. And right. and then wow. he just right. and then right. he cherry picks right. random facts. He tries to mm -hmm. oh, I'm just using the inductive process. Oh my it's a it's a bad faith enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. I think, that's the, yeah. I think that's the right. It is a terribly bad faith, and that's what makes it so difficult to deal with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to say, like, another inferred conclusion you can make from that sentence you read out loud, which was okay, like, like if the American Revolution was so great, if the Civil War was like actually important for this the construction of the American nation. You could also say, if the civil rights movement was so great, then why are we in such a bad place yeah. now? That like that sense. is the natural conclusion wow. or the natural inferred argument that this person is making, which is very popular these days. Yeah. It's like, if the civil rights movement was so great, then like, why do we have Trump? Like yeah. actually like all the, everything that those people right. advocated right. for right. this right. idea of America that they espoused right. actually was fundamentally wrong. They were completely naive about America, and we are the ones who are realistic right. about what America is, and that's why we have all these problems today. That's right, yeah. and that's why we're 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 the only ones worthy of fighting fascism yeah. because yeah. we understand its roots yeah. right. in American history. Go ahead, yeah. But I think another like very insidious thing that the article it's is doing is that it's trying to position Gerald Horn as the champion of the left, right. like this whole thing of like, oh, the mainstream or other historians, established historians who disagree with porn are white. Right. And then the only people who are against it in the left were the Trotskyists who we don't believe in. <laughs> and so it's basically saying like, oh, like everybody who disagrees with Gerald Porn is either like an ultra ultra leftist or a liberal. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the thing is that Gerald Porn's stance actually is like both the ultra leftist and the liberal right. stance. And yeah. it goes exactly into the idea of like, oh, you have to have like the right ideas to do anything, but mm -hmm. then the ideology that Horn is actually espousing is exactly like not to struggle democratically with the masses. It's just to be like, oh, like I'm so smart. I know all these facts about Texas. And so it's just like, yeah, I think mm -hmm. the, the language of the article too is very much mm -hmm. like, very like slyly trying to be so like, very like in a sly way yeah. trying to be like, oh, like, don't listen to any of these criticisms. Like they're just silly. Like don't even pay attention to it. Pay no mind. Gerald Horn's the best. And just terribly written, by the way. Even when I I was listening to you yeah. read that quote, I couldn't understand it. <laughs> it, it became, uh, I mean, maybe you did, but so much of the article was very difficult to digest yeah, yeah. because. I mean, for this guy to be a, a so-called big-time professor, yeah, 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 just, yeah, yeah. just so. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, go, go ahead. Go. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think reading, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't get to the end of it because it's just <laughs> so hard. Yeah. But reading it, it did feel like somebody who's trying to sound very cool, like, you know, with all those parenthetical yeah. things, yeah. quips inside. Like anyway, I also wanted to say that I think Jeremiah mentioned this right at the beginning where he says that, oh, Marxists didn't, don't want to talk about the American Revolution. They only focus on the resulting nation's imperialism mm -hmm. and i mean this is also an, this is also a way to say that okay don't talk about us imperialism let's only right. focus our attention on this counter revolution of 1776 mm -hmm. and then how the civil war was basically not all mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. and don't talk about us imperialism because that's not really what matters right right and and everything is a sleight of hand yeah. right. it's like the on a set Take, for example, again, just, just dropping shit out here. Uh, horns, Black Marxist internationalism. Now, the whole, before, you know, hold up the, pre hold, let's, let's stop right there. What is that? <laughs> what is it? You understand what I'm saying? Oh, you just dropped that out there. His Black Marxist internationalism. So you got three things, you know, then, you know, this constant attempt, well, then he drops Cedric Robinson, mm -hmm. Black Marxism. Okay, you dropped that on me, money. What are you saying about it? Mm -hmm. And how do I know that you know what Cedric Robinson was arguing and whether or not Cedric Robinson's thesis by the way, especially with respect to Black Reconstruction. And we can go into that another time. But you just dropped that on me as a gesture. And then the idea that Horn is doing something new because he is allegedly looking at the history of the United States from the standpoint of Black folk and Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You, I mean, to even assume that to be true, for Horn, whom I suspect this writer was in contact with to interview and all of that right. in writing this right. shit, right. to assume that, the question has to be asked. Were the oppressed a class? And if so, have you removed from your understanding? And this author suggests it, mm -hmm. that Horn is correcting the class analysis of American history that is associated with the left. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And replacing it with an understanding of the oppressed who are, and I'm gonna go with this, POCs, right. the famous POC. <laughs> the name is, they don't need to be named. They're PO, we're all up in here as POC. <laughs> now it's BIPOC though, you know. Who is it? Even BIPOC is kind of out of Black indigenous people of color. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> No, <laughs> it's a it's a fraud, and I I think 
you know, in this respect, I feel myself so, you know, the, the outrage that Nuri expressed, you know, because Nuri said, how could you do this? I asked the same thing about this essay. Mm -hmm. How could you perpetrate this kind of a fraud? Mm -hmm. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. You know, and this claim, when he says the left, well, last time I looked, Henry Winston was the left. Mm -hmm. right, right. Did he have anything to say about from the anti-slavery to the anti-monopoly yeah, coalition? Yeah, yeah. See, but I know, I know Horn. I know he don't like Henry Winston. He never liked Henry Winston. Wow. I know he don't like the boys. Wow. You see what I'm saying? This is a cat. And then that's why I have to say, you know what the word fold off means, crazy. Is there no legacy upon which you build or is it just you? Uh, is it, were there any thinkers of merit of value before you start, by the way, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, then you became a black Marxist internationalist. Before that you were something different. So how did that affect your psychology, hence your ideology? This is the, these are very, um, you know, it's so much that needs to be, uh, as they say, teased out or exposed. Right, right, it's so much that is wrong and distorted. Right. Can I share something? Oh, yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah, I'm I want to share it related to this um, that I, I learned about recently. So uh, basically, uh, you know, Horn, we talked about how in black in his other article about black reconstruction, mm -hmm. he criticized Du Bois' teleology. Yes. Mm -hmm. But what you could describe what he's doing, I mean, you could say it's teleology, or you could use the term presentism, mm -hmm. that him and a whole school of people mm -hmm. are trying to make all of history about the present scenario with Trump mm -hmm. and all that. Mm -hmm. And so the interesting thing I wanted to share was that uh, this past summer, the president of the AHA, the American Historical Association, mm -hmm. oh, you, you heard about this? So he, he's a, I think his name is James Sweet or something like that. He's a white guy who's a scholar of West Africa. So mm -hmm. I think like every quarter or something, the president of the AHA writes some kind of essay, mm -hmm. like a message. So in his message, yeah, yeah. it was about criticizing presentism and history. Mm -hmm. And he said some interesting stuff. He criticized, he said, he criti I think that I was a scholar of uh, you know West Africa and a person concerned about racism and other things. I'm worried about the way the kind of casual ways in which uh, in superficial and often incorrect ways in which the history is being invoked for presentist purposes. Right. And he talked, he criticized the 1619 project. He said, I was appalled by the 1619 project and Ta-Nehisi Coates. He also criticized that movie, The Woman King. Yeah, I'll share it. I'll share it. But this is interesting. He talked about, he talked about if, if people who considered themselves progressives invoke this stuff so frivolously, then he gave the example of how in the Supreme Court um, decisions on uh, overruling gun control laws and then overturning Roe v. Wade, both of those also invoked history, like the right wing invoked history in such a superficial way to, in, to overturn those things. And so he said that you have to be careful if you're progressive and you do this, the right wing can easily do that and we need more rigor in history and so on. But then the response to what he said, <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> so there's a, 
there's a a, a woman, a, a black woman scholar who's an associate of uh, Ibram Kendi. Oh boy, <laughs> I know the person you talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. She wrote her. Her name is Keisha Blaine. She wrote an article in Jacobin, criticizing this guy James Sweet and saying there's no such thing as history. Starting with a quote from Baldwin about history and there's no history about history, and then comparing. Listen, comparing this James President James Sweet of AJ to the Dunning School. Wow. Saying that anyone who says that you shouldn't bring presentism into wow. history is the Dunning School. And so it helps to illustrate the kind of uh, clash that's happening, at least in academic history, between some more old school people, like the people who criticize the 1619, who are mostly white, but at least they're not, they don't invoke their identity to, you know, in their in their work and so on. And they have, might have some respect, at least, for Du Bois, even if they don't fully grasp him. But then you have this new school of people who are the radical POC and who are like, oh, we're radicals because we make everything about the present political battle. Mm -hmm. But by the present political battle, that means because we make everything about being anti-Trump and, you know, shoring up uh, the Democratic Party and so on. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, oh go ahead, go, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I guess from what everyone's saying, it feels like everyone is using Du Bois to undermine Du Bois. Well, yeah, definitely. It's because it's, even they can't say that, oh yeah, I disagree with Du Bois outright. Always have to use Du Bois and Paul, because like there have been people who criticize Cambridge directly, but it still feels like Du Bois is almost like this this figure that has been so monumental, and so in order to even disagree with him, you have to take him seriously, but in a way of like taking away everything that's sacred about his ideas and then saying that you agree with him. I think that's the worst offense, like even say that you yeah. just, than to disagree entirely. Yeah. One thing to add, it's um one is like the audience for this kind of article is probably lots of like young intellectual type people who are like left-leaning, but probably yeah. in the academy or yeah, moving yeah, towards yeah, the academy yeah. already. And so yeah, it's like interesting. It's like it almost like it sets up like I think Miriam was saying this, it sets up like a straw man kind of situation yeah. where you want like I think a lot of like young, generally progressive, like academic type people want to be like against the establishment, against the status quo. And so it sets up this kind of straw man situation where like it's like Gerald Horn against the establishment. Right. And so yeah. if you want to be against the establishment as a historian or as an intellectual, you have to follow the tradition or like the sort of line that Gerald Horn is following. Right. Because Gerald Horn is like anti-establishment when actually he's right. like the, right. but he's being right. leveraged as like the, the by the New York Times. Right. But there was also um, like to what, what Caleb is saying, there was another article in, in Jacobin this past week about another book that's come out about reconstruction. Yeah. But basically like the whole crux of both the book itself about reconstruction. But you're not talking about, uh, what's it, who's it? Uh... It's by, um, it's called Civil War by Other Means, America's Long and Unfinished Fight for Democracy by this person named Jeremy Surrey. Uh -huh. But the whole article and the book is basically also about how, like, if you want to understand January 6th and the Trump movement, you have to look back to Reconstruction. Right. And the crux of the, the article, so the, the article is called The Failure of Reconstruction is to Blame for the Weakness of American Democracy. And the failure, the failure of reconstruction mm -hmm. is to blame for the weakness of American democracy. But the author's whole critique of this, this new book that's come out is to say that, you know, a lot of a lot of people say that the Trump movement represents a white working class, 
But then this author is like, actually, no, the Trump movement represents like a lot of middle class people, and it's not a working class movement. But to to haunt to Jahan's whole thing about presentism, it's like it's not even arguing with like this author, with like the book on the basis of like historical stuff, but it's more like just arguing based on like, oh no, like like people are wrong to say that the Trump movement is like a working class movement when actually it's like a bourgeois, like middle class movement. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of basically like using also Du Bois, but sort of misappropriating Du Bois like for these very contemporary arguments, um, which are actually used to kind of obscure, like if you want to consider, like if you even want to consider like the Trump movement today in its current context with the framework that Du Bois offers, it's like, there's so many other ways that you can understand it, but instead it's just kind of like, they're trying to like ram Du Bois's thinking into like whatever ideological ideological agenda that they want to have. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, development of Gerald Horn and the 1619 Project are product of the moment we're in, we That's call it cancel yeah. culture, mm -hmm. um, which I think um, promotes the sort of am American amnesia that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think it's interesting that this, like, how did we get here? What, what trajectory brought us intellectually into this space? And you brought up how Gerald Horn kind of turned in a way from the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, which is another, you know, we, we were talking about how the American project was an ex is, is an experiment, an ongoing experiment. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how the Soviets saw their their environment, their government was an experiment. Mm -hmm. And after which we were told in the West and around the world that it was just a total failure. There's nothing to be learned from it. We can't look at it all. It's all just bad. Very similar to how we hear the American project being described. Yes, um, and, and I also think about how like, if it is a better understanding, is it, if it is actually illuminating our perspective and giving a more three-dimensional mm -hmm. idea of how mm -hmm. to see this experiment, mm -hmm. why is it being, why is it so immediately being so divisive in this country? Mm -hmm. Like if it were bringing a higher understanding, you'd think we'd be having way more conversations across spectrums about this, but instead we see the very opposite. We see conservatives trying to pull their kids out of schools that are teaching this or mm -hmm. outright trying to ban this kind of teaching. So. It's just interesting because I think in many ways you could look at the Soviet experiment and think Soviet intellectuals were starting to see their history from the Western perspective in very black and white ways. Mm -hmm. And um, and in many ways that, that I mean, it was, it's a very complicated history in itself, but I think in many, many respects, a, a nation in crisis and, and falling apart, <clears throat> um, you know, those things are connected to ideas. And so if the ideas Absolutely. of our time are dividing us as we see them dividing us, then how can we honestly say that this is something that's actually the full and whole truth? Um, well, one would assume the other. One would assume that if it's a really, if it's grounded in real, uh, a more full picture, that it's gonna unite people. Uh, that's just- No, but I think this is very important. It gets to uh, what Caleb was asking, uh, you know, which I, uh, Caleb, I think, that's a continuation of the question you asked last week. Yeah, Why now? Yeah. Why is all of this attention to Black Reconstruction mm -hmm. after 80 years right, right, of nothing, right, right, nothing, right, ignoring, right. you know, and one, I guess, was supposed to assume because it's not being discussed, it must not be worthy of discussion. 
and um, and just at the time that it becomes worthy of discussion, right. the discussion is more than not to distort it mm -hmm. and not to see <laughs> its presentist meaning mm -hmm. or its value as a theory of history. Mm -hmm. No revolutionaries have ever attacked their own working class in the ways that these people do. This is not revolutionary historiography. This is not revolutionary writing. The people doing this are not revolutionaries. In fact, it is fair to say they are anti-revolutionary. They, and so, and again, Horn is saying, this is what I was trying to tell you. This country is by definition mm -hmm. a racist and hence fascist nation. Yeah, what kind of law is that like ontological? Like how no, no, I think it's more like uh, like what Anna said, teleological. Yeah. You argue um you argue the past from what you say the means, the ends. I don't know how to put it with telia that. Uh, that what is was inevitable because of what was. Right, 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 right. And, you know, very honestly, I don't equate, I don't say all teleologies are the same. Right, right. The earliest teleologist was Aristotle that we know of. Mm -hmm. And he made an argument that, and it, this is part of his logic, that we can know the past from knowing the present. You see what I'm saying? If, if that makes sense. We can know what was, and this is this is what uh, Joe was talking about, about this presentism. We can study the, the past as a version of now. So if Trump is a fascist, which is a very spurious claim, and I think it's more clear every day. The art, because unless you have to assume that Trump is a fascist to make the arguments that they are making. Even as you read this essay on Horn, you have to assume. And if Trump is a fascist, there is a movement of 74 or 70 some million people in the United States which is a fascist movement, which by the way, I should tell you, makes, gives a whole new definition of fascism. Even the Nazi party didn't have this many people. Right, 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 right. You see what I'm saying? Even the Nazi party could not take power in Germany. It had to be given to them. I mean, this whole talk of fascism and Nazism, it does not fucking apply. Right. We, so, but that other claim is that, oh, you all were talking about America's democratic history and democratic institutions was so strong that we would, that, that the probability of fascism was very low in the United States as compared to, let us say, Germany in the 1930s. And what Horn is saying, yeah, you were wrong. You had this optimistic outlook. It does not apply. America was never anything but a white supremacist nation. And Black people were never anything but victims. That's, 
that's part of what you'd be responding to, Nori. See, what it, just like just like Danny said, he said the general strike was the slave of manifesting that we are workers, that we are proletariat. What Horn says, they never were that. In fact, it wasn't a general strike. It was a wildcat strike. Now, somebody back in the street should take a short stick and beat that ass. For, I'm, I'm going beyond you, Lori. I mean, I know. I mean, how the fuck? Why are you going to nitpick some bullshit? And by the way, if you're going to say that, would you please tell me what the difference is? Yeah. Right, right. Is a general is is a general strike, wildcat strikes on a mass level. I mean, what the fuck is the difference qualitatively? But it's all of this nickel and dime espionage parading as academic history. But go ahead. Oh, go no, Anna, and then and then Jerry. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting how you said that. Like, there are. Like this different teleology, yes, yes, and like it's like that word just gets thrown around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess like the reason that I called it teleology in the first, I guess, or I guess presentism, I guess, mm-hmm. maybe this form, um, is that yeah, I think like contrary to what, for example, Du Bois was trying to do, like he had and was building a logic, you know, of yeah. historical laws yes. that you know, that would have explained the present moment as well as the future, but actually based on a coherent and logically sound set of laws. Right. Yeah. And there is a clear method to like, to, to arrive at those. Yes. Whereas Horn, he's, what's the thing, there, there, there's no laws, there's no logic. It's just his absolutely. ideology, it's his yeah. ideas that he's not being honest about defending. Dishonesty. I'm sorry, I need to cut you out. Go, well, yeah. keep talking. I'm just agreeing. I'm... But I, but I don't yeah. think anyone, at least in in academic writing, has really elucidated that difference. Yeah. No, I don't think so. And I'd like to speak on that in a minute. But go ahead, Jerry. You go no, first. Just a a quick thing that um the author says that American liberals are unable to think of racial domination in anything other than. In, as anything other than like paradox or contradiction. But I think, well, one, he's misattributing something to American liberals, but also mm-hmm. if you don't view racism as, as a contradictory thing in the way that Du Bois views it, mm-hmm. then you're saying that racism and like this whole stuff, the colonialism is mm-hmm. like ingrained into the DNA of the American Absolutely. nation. Absolutely. And so the, like, the, and this mm-hmm. is the thing that very, I feel like the logical conclusion to that argument is like, oh, we should break up the United States. Like the American nation itself should be dissolved. Like that is literally the only logical conclusion you can- No, there's one other option. Uh, And this is Horn's option that, uh, well, first of all, that the African-American people should suicidally sacrifice themselves in the name of the grander scheme Mm -hmm. of, of world communism. In other words, the United States will not change. It will only be defeated on the international scale mm-hmm. by chi- the rise of China, Russia, yeah, so yeah, on and so yeah. forth. Um, now this, yeah. See, I don't like nobody, you know, well, go ahead, I'll shut my fucking mouth. But that's what he's yeah, arguing. Yeah, yeah. that, that's saying to black people, you're only worthy of death. Yeah. Of, of 
since white people are predatory, racist, and Nazis, mm -hmm. and their history is essentially genocidal, mm -hmm. there is no Black liberation except as an act of what you need, revolutionary suicide. But, but go, go ahead, Marie, uh, and then. Uh, well, I think just going a little bit further into this thing about the teleology and the presentism, like there's a different, like I think the thing is, is that if you look at a present moment and then try to go backwards to say like, oh, like what, what, like what is must have been because what was kind of infuses like in existential state mm -hmm. onto things. Like, I don't know if it's like, yeah, like ontological, but I feel like it's that basically all of American history has been one thing. Yeah. Like it has yeah, to be one thing. And true. I feel like the thing with Du Bois is that he, like when you're talking, when you said like manifesting, like the manifestation of the working class is that like, it's a dynamic process. Like there are rules or there are like possibilities in the development, but like this thing of like law and chance where you know there are high probabilities of something, but there's always the chance that it can become something else. And I feel like this thing, yeah, like I actually think the way that you cast Black Reconstruction as a work of logic and philosophy mm -hmm. is really like really, really important mm -hmm. because I think the way that we're reading Black Reconstruction and that the way that we think that it's important is to even think about the possibilities and why those possibilities exist or are true. And it's not, yeah, it's not like a historical, like a purely historical argument about like, mm -hmm. oh, is this teleology? Is this presentism? But even like, what are the possibilities of history? And why are those possibilities like actually like real? Um, yeah, because I think it also connects to like the thing of like how maybe a few weeks ago you were talking about how Black Reconstruction works from both inductive and deductive logic. Absolutely. Where yes. there is a framework. Like there is a frame, like basically Du Bois has a hypothesis, like an overarching framework mm -hmm. of this is like what I think it is. And he frames it in the black worker, the white worker, the planter of like basically the dialectics by threes. But then he demonstrates it from like the observations and from even like the dynamics of the ideological mm -hmm. struggle in the mm -hmm. times with like all the quotes, like the newspaper articles to show mm -hmm. like how it goes both ways. And I feel like that's, I don't know. I just feel like that's like a very interesting logical thing because it's also not like he yeah like forecloses it or says like this is the only way like this is all it ever has been but I think it's even like it's most useful to us today not just because it like illuminates oh like this is things are the way that they are today because of how things are in the past right. but it's mm -hmm. more a general it's a more general and more broad way of thinking about history and thinking about like what exists now what could exist and like what produces the movement itself. So if this, if I could, uh, I mean, you know, this idea, we keep going back to things, uh, for example, um, the law of the negation of negation, mm -hmm. which is not pessimism or negativity, but it is the law of motion, yeah. that history is not static, it is in motion. Mm -hmm. And that's why the type of, teleology that Horn does is based upon a static yeah. Yeah. Uh, mechanism, mechani mechanistic mm -hmm. understanding of history. And you're, you're, you're more than right. The problem with Black Reconstruction, uh, 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 Caleb, one of the problems is the people who interpret it, and they're all historians who know nothing about philosophy or theory 
or anything other than how to do archival and other kinds of research. Their assumptions, by the way, they create a wall, and this is one, a wall of facts, so you cannot interrogate their assumptions. You see what I'm saying? Just, just one other thing. This, the unity of induction and deduction. The other way to think about that, all, because we're talking about, as you said, a philosophy, not just history, but a philosophy of history. Well, Horn has a quote, philosophy of history. It is very weak, yeah. very infantile, really childish to tell you the fucking truth, man. It is, I, I don't mean to put anybody, it's childish you know, immature. It's almost like uh, uh, like your third grade friend <laughs> where, you know, look at me, I'm here, you know. You would do better to be here in the quality. When a person just keeps writing, 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 wait a minute, man, uh-uh. You're not doing it properly. But, and this, this I get from Kant, that new levels of knowledge always require another level of abstraction. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? We think not only in, in inductive or concrete terms, but to, Fear, to know at a higher level requires a new level of theorizing, a new level of abstraction. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, believe me, I say this, Nor, I'm still trying to work this thing out, this Black Reconstruction, because there is so much to it. And I, I feel the way you do about the article in the New York Times and then Horns, they're really trivializing and dismissing the work. And then to make a claim, see, when, when this guy here keeps referring to the Civil War, that's really, uh, how do you say, a passive aggressive uh, attack upon Du Bois. The history of the Civil War is the history of Reconstruction too. They're inseparable. So ain't nobody talking about the history, of, well, I guess phone and some other asshole. A history of the Civil War is a history that includes Reconstruction, a single revolutionary process. Now, who in God's earth ever said that every that revolutions will always be successful? You know, that's what. But uh, uh, let me shut. Go ahead, Emil. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was glad you brought up the negation comment because yeah. I think that's a. A thing that can be very confusing about this, you hear Gerald Horn or some of the other people speak about, it seems like the goal is to really um, rip apart America. And thus, well, there's no two ways and, about and thus, that. And thus, I can see how someone That's looking into that might think, oh, this is a progressive thing because American government, look at all the things it does all around the world mm -hmm. and all the pain and suffering we've caused. Mm -hmm. But understanding what we understand, which is that there is no empty negation. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so if you're going to, try to rip apart America and you don't have any idea of what is you're, you're putting in that place, that's a problem. And, and also understanding that the American project as it's currently constituted 
the, the people who seem to be in charge of these um, destructive forces are more than willing to say, oh yeah, we don't have any sovereignty. That, that, that re resolves any responsibility they might have to the people of this nation. Yeah. And of course, having military bases all over the world tells mm -hmm. you what they think about sovereignty to begin with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and of course, we're not talking about having a sovereignty of, you know, the the uh, the Third Reich or, or um, you know, Mussolini's Italy or this kind of thing. Like, it's, it's you know, just stopping the, the conversation with, negation doesn't doesn't get us anywhere and it, and it can be used against us in this way we decide we want to tear apart yeah, the institutions we we might have to to reconstitute the conversation yeah. of what it is our country is going to be then those who already have power it, it gives them more leverage and no more leeway to do whatever it is no they question want. No so question. um but, but your, your point your point and this is when you know reading henry winston and you know that that documentary, the way you put that together was beautiful. I was thinking about it the other day. This is a very serious man. And one of the the, the things of one of the foundations of this political practice is that we must fight for unity of the people. Mm -hmm. Ain't gonna be absolute. The ruling class is still the ruling class. But the fight for unity, I don't know of any revolutionaries, even in Nazi Germany, as they were being imprisoned, et cetera, et cetera, that ever said the German people are full of shit and can't do anything. They say the Nazis and the ruling, the, really what they were saying, this is George Dimitra, that the ruling class had to impose another form of rule. Fascism is not generated from the people. It is not from the working class. It is imposed on the working class. You, you take where I'm coming from. And just with, you know, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm left speechless. How could you talk like this and claim to be a revolutionary? Ain't no revolutionary. They would be like Antonio Gramsci. The man damn near died in the penitentiary. You know, he was a little short guy who had um, physical problems. You know, I don't know what they, polio or some shit, but he, he, I mean, he, you read his correspondence. He was never saying the Italian people ain't worth shit. They're a bunch of fascists and dogs and, and Italian history was always going to lead to this and, and fuck all you. He never talked like this. So how do these no, no, and no revolutionary anytime. Lenin was out, couldn't come back into Russia. He was in Switzerland and other countries in exile. He never said the Russian working class and peasantry, they're a bunch of bums and shit, fuck them and and you know, I'm just here. They don't, they haven't accepted my writings, and so they must be dumb. I never, I mean, where does this bullshit come from? And this, this is, I think, and here I agree with you, Emil. The test is not what you write on paper, but what your politics are. Are you with the people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
or are you against them? And that's the test. Everybody can run off at the at the mouth. You know what I'm saying? And and if if they can if they can put two sentences together, they're gonna write an article. Mm. And don't let them be able to put a paragraph. Then they're gonna write a book. And then when they get started on that thing, when them cats start writing books, they become a monster. <laughs> no, I'm trying to cat write a book. They hard to deal with. Yeah. Some of the most right. difficult. He'll tell you. Difficult people. But they won't start talking about the world. Tell you the truth. Get yourself. That's a different book. Yeah. Not authored by human beings. Yeah. A cat, a person that writes books, they're very different. Very narcissistic, right, right. you know, wow. of my latest book. Right, Everything right, is right. my latest book. Yeah, well, hold right. it, dog. I'm not interested. Right. Tell me, I want, I want to know about you, what, what you think, right. as I've said in my most recent book. <laughs> <laughs> They're very difficult people to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, the problem of graduate education. Right. It is... First of all, the company that you're forced to keep. He's going through it. I went through it. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? Talk about yourself. Yeah, yeah. The, the people in the academy, when you talk about unprincipled uh, careerism, I mean, it's something you, you just... It, yeah, I'll just shut my mouth there. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a it's a very difficult problem. And now with this proliferation of all these different presses, and this is what this guy brings out in the review. Right, right, right. right. Most of Horn's work would not pass serious peer review. Right, right. Would not. And that's what that article. Admittedly, by a Trotskyite, so I would I would be biased against it because of that. But he he eviscerates, deconstructs mm -hmm. the counter revolution of seventeen seventy six, as did the scholars who took on the sixteen nineteen project. Right, 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 right. And then when they found out Hannah Nicole Jones, oh, you coming out of Gerald Horn's book? Yeah, you really yeah. fucked up. Yeah. And that you know what I'm saying? It, it's it's a it's a it's a deep uh, problem of um, of self promotion of um, and you don't understand it unless you're around them. Right, right, right. right. Mm -hmm. I, okay, I, I'm sorry. So I, I don't know if you talked about this part of the article mm -hmm. yet, but um, it's it's you know because um, basically like I know you've talked about like how academic networks and neck mm -hmm. are kind of formed mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I guess you could kind of also describe it as a kind of a ideological block that form mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and so like you know this kind of uh woke slash faux progressive yeah. slash faux radical yeah. kind mm -hmm. of block which again in the presentist thing is mm -hmm. making everything about 
uh, giving a radical veneer to the regime and like, you know, we, we talked about regime consolidation. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to attempt an ideological consolidation of American liberalism and so on. So there's a... Could I just yeah, say one yeah. American imperialism? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, basically, yeah, American imperialism in the guise of whatever, liberalism or American democracy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's a section in the article, the mm -hmm. Boston Review article, um, first, uh, the author, he criticizes um, people on the left who are saying that we shouldn't adopt the homegrown fascism thesis and that we should talk about the need to dismantle neoliberalism. So he criticizes those people mm -hmm. uh, and dismisses them. And then he says, Did you just clarify yeah, that. Yeah. In other words, he's saying that, see, Gerald Horn's position is that fascism is not an an import into the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. It is homegrown. Right, right, it's right, in the DNA right, of the country. Right, 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 even, right. Which would even make it surpassing Nazism in Germany. Right. That's true. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, one could make the argument that Nazism was uh, an import into German culture. Right. But what Horn says is that America is unique in human history right. in that fascism right. was built into the nation right. from the, even before it was, was built into the nation and into its revolutionary right. tradition. Right. 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 Well, hence, that's the grand theory, right? That's the grand <laughs> The beginnings, of, like, whereas a person like Du Bois would say, okay, maybe the if you maybe were to try to sum up which is difficult his grand theory he would talk about oh the engine of the, like the logic of american history the struggle of the black proletariat mm -hmm. to be the proletariat of the whole mm -hmm. of democracy Horn is saying it's about counter-revolution after counter-revolution right. and backlash after backlash oh, so that's why you could you know also it's a great publishing strategy because you got yeah. the counter-revolution 1776 keep going every 20 years write another book about a counter-revolution <laughs> i can't take another <laughs> and we were only in the 1830. <laughs> but anyway, but so 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 this part of the article first it criticizes people who on the left who are rejecting the homegrown thesis mm -hmm. and also who are criticizing the Democrats. We're basically saying that we have to be critical of the Democratic Party for uh fail, you know, for embracing neoliberalism, mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason for the rise of Trump. So um then he says. Uh, whatever one thinks of the Democrats, the limitations of this kind of rhetorical critique should be obvious enough. And I want to, to talk about this part. He talked about other scholars in terms of this blog. Mm -hmm. Anyone can bend language to their own ends. <laughs> Witness what philosopher Olofemi Taiwo calls, mm -hmm. quote, the elite capture of identity politics, mm -hmm. right? So this one guy I wanted to say a little about, Olofemi Taiwo. Elite capture of identity politics. That's his new book, <laughs> right? And even left political scientist Adolf Reed, an unsparing, if pragmatic, critic of the Democratic Party, has come around to asserting, quote, the whole country is the Reichstag. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Y'all know what the Reichstag is, don't you? Yeah, no. Oh, God. Oh. See, that's what this article here. Oh, you just look at it. What's the Boston Review? It's not for the educated. The way we say Oh, have mercy. And then the Reichstag fire. Uh, it's like their parliament. Basically. In other words, yeah, their part. In other words, there was a fire at the Reichstag, which was obviously. How are you? Which was obviously a set, maybe by an anarchist, an individual, 
as a protest against uh, the Nazis being called upon to form the government. It wasn't that Hitler won the majority of votes in the, no, it was the, um, uh, the president of, of the year who said, oh, we're gonna, we'll call on the Nazis to form a government because they felt the Nazis would be an effective force against the labor movement, the communists and the socialists. They asked Hitler, you know what I'm saying? Now, a, a protest against that was a fire set at the Reichstag. Now, a lot of people said, well, maybe the Nazis had something to do with it. But nonetheless, it gave the government, which is now headed by Hitler, the go-ahead to clamp down on civil rights. So when Adolf Reed says, I, I don't know what the fuck he means. The whole country is a Reichstag. See, that's, that's what I mean. Even if you know what the ride stock is, but what the fuck are you talking about? Don't make no fucking sense. Maybe it does. No, I, I'm not gonna have any sense. But I'm just thinking of the whole article oh, yeah, about yeah. it. I mean, I haven't read it. I just opened it up. Editorial. Yeah, Adolf Reed wrote, titled "The Whole Country Is a Ride Stock" for 2021. <laughs> we will talk about that later. But I just wanted to say um, that. The fact that this um, author is also gesturing to this Adolf Reed and to this uh, all this Olaf Femi Taiwo. I heard this guy's book talk, Olaf Femi Taiwo, some of it with Robin Kelly. Oh boy. But basically, he's making the argument that identity politics from the Kumbahi River Collective and all that was a very progressive and radical thing. But the problem is that the elites have captured it and you know co-opted the idea of identity politics. They don't know what the Kumbahi River Collective is. Right, right, Anybody right. know what that is? Right. No, and don't, I mean, we'll get to that another time. But anyway, it's a whole, yeah, yeah, it's, oh, go ahead, man. I, no, I just meant to say that I think it's an attempt to kind of, I mean, we talked about this thing of trying to rebrand the American elite and the system, but also um, I think with a, with a lot of the things we've been seeing in recent years yeah. where they start to discuss radical things, now it's Black Reconstruction, even I was talking with uh, some of my students a few days ago about the, um, uh, the Judas and the Black. Someone was asking about the Judas and the Black Messiah movie because I was telling them about COINTELPRO and stuff. They're like, oh, yeah, I saw that movie. It was great, blah, blah. But I, well, it got me thinking that, well, again, why now, right? That movie came out like two years ago. And a number of, number of things have come out that are kind of mainstream but are talking about, quote, unquote, radical history and stuff. And I think that when you get into a situation as a ruling elite where there is a growing consciousness and rejection of you and people are actually criticizing institutions like the FBI, people are criticizing, you know, talking more openly about race and so on, you have to basically... Um, you have to be like, okay, like people are angry. People are going to find out about the stuff. It's better if we let them know in our way, right? It's better if we talk about Colin Pro. It's better if we talk about Reconstruction. It's better if we tell the story yeah, of the rise yeah, of Jim Crow. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Emancipation. Yeah, Will Smith, Emancipation. I haven't seen the Till movie, but... Uh, I haven't even seen... Uh, you will never watch that. Woman King, yeah, that sweet tell the story of slavery and common I'm a little bit backlog in my movie. <laughs> but go ahead. You know, we come in this free school. Yeah. And I'm listening to the opposition because y'all bringing it to the table. <laughs> but it's one thing oh, yeah. when somebody had Du Bois and his, and his uh, unified, it's like a unified 
force of his thinking. Mm -hmm. And I and I it only could be verified because he's his stable time in Germany, not just Germany is some regular right, right, right. playing around mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. This stabilization of him being in Germany, his work has been like it's like a scientific tool or instrument. His mind is an instrument itself. I think you're right. And, and the thing about it, the, the dynamics that I'm sitting here speaking through is like, instead of me feeling I don't have a little stability sitting with different people, it, it makes the room more stable because the boys had to figure all this sociological windows of like planes and thinking and the human behavior. And by him using Philadelphia, mm -hmm. my childhood city, and Philadelphia, still Negro, Philadelphia. He, he he modeled the feelings of the people somewhat in Philadelphia to like how world people do things. And he then shifted it the way he writes about everything, his dynamics and socialism and, and sociology. And no one even thinking on this side of the fence, they're on the wrong fence anyway, that this man had helped the German people create a better window for sociological problems. Even if even if one thought Marx did it. Mm -hmm. Even if they want to think somebody else. Yeah. And I've been to Germany a couple of times as a student, not even vacationing. And it's just the idea how this kind of thing can be missed in this kind of country. No matter what the people walking around in these high schools and these places teaching other people, and they don't have no observation of this present room right now. Not knowing what it feels like to have this intersectional civilization <laughs> mentorship of like no one would even think this is even possible, but yet this is a phenomenon that the poet has put. Like when I read his essays growing up, I'm not talking about as an adult, and 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 to have this important part of my life in this room here with all of y'all, it's like a general assembly for me. It's like a meeting of the most important yep. factors and, and world <laughs> historical history. Can't have this etiquette that I'm speaking about yes. like for, and you for know, Derek, to meet up with each other. Like, like you that. say, it doesn't mean anything till it does. This is a purpose. And you are so... This is purposeful that's right. from me. That's right. And, not a, and you got it so... Stagnated right. from me. Yeah. No, no, no. Derek, you, I, mean, you, I agree so deeply with what you say, and it's not, popularity is not the goal. Yeah, and they, and they, and I, but, one, okay, I'm sorry. one more thing is that I, I don't want to revisualize how DeBoer's work is being presented in a lot of these rooms, big panels, because mm -hmm. you discuss in demarcation lines, mm -hmm. partition. The school, because our schools, like I, my mentorship is that I was in university schools in Islamic world perceptions. I'm not just a, a, a regular student. I'm, I'm part of that student body, like my student body. And it really, it really shapes. If I wasn't around that, I wouldn't be able to really verify because someone has to take the leading role. And I don't want to upserve nobody from out of their power. But if a person can equal their power out as a person that's trying to help, I won't be in this ship right here. And this is hard to have those two little lines that people use to equate things with, to have that in this room. 
but I put them on the bulletin board. Those two lines don't mean the same thing that people run lines with. And those kind of equal things do something to how we talk to each other. We just can't, we just don't want to imagine that you both help scientists in Berlin and Zurich and all these places because, because we can't see how that discussion started moving the world because nobody don't want the boys work to, to like Doc has to, to carry the thunder. I call it thunder stick. When he say pick up a little stick, no, I call it thunder stick. And believe me, I don't have to tell you to go in somebody else's culture that I'm speaking about and say what I mean. And you know, it's a reality. But you know something, Derek, you know, like what you're saying, the, the strength of a scientific work is realizing the fact that if it 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 can be insinuated into the language of many many cultures yeah. of the world, and you know even though it is not complete, when Du Bois went to China, you know when he went to China in the late fifties, it was illegal right, right. to go to China. He had just gotten his passport back from the State Department because you know they took it claiming that he was a agent of a foreign government. He got it back and he didn't even have it back maybe a year. He immediately goes to China. And um, now what was the impact upon the Chinese Academy at that time? I don't know. Oh I don't know. Uh, of course, as we know, the Cultural Revolution interrupted a lot of things. But, and I agree with you, I agree with you. To distort Du Bois is to distort the ideological relations between the American people, the African-American people in particular, mm -hmm. and world humanity. Right. And that's what it's intended yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. We cannot underestimate. And it's, it's more observable. I'm sorry. In the observations and using observatory, and I might say my religious observances, it's this word, that's that word of observing things. Yeah. That's the observation of people that are stagnating and looking at the universe, mm -hmm. looking through the, looking through this window. They can't get to the and you know something, And they can't really visualize what this even looks like written out. You know, I was talking about this with Cordoba. You know, this shit like this merely discredits the U.S. university. Mm -hmm. Such an ideological enemy of the truth when the universities permit this and does not permit the opposite it discredits the university itself i mean at some point at some point scholars in china because china had to go through its own stuff but now it can think about other things it has and they're gonna say wait a minute Every, every revolutionary in history since the 18th century mm -hmm. has said that the French and American revolutions are bourgeois revolutions. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Now, y'all saying it's not, that it was a counter It just, I mean, who would do this? So I think, I think, and just I agree with you. And I agree when, we, when I interviewed you, Mm -hmm. And you said the free school is like a classical school. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
How did you put it there? You, you, you know, you, you bring it in all of these heads. But you called it, you had a, a classical of the ancient. The it's, way a, it's an appraisal. Mm -hmm. It's an ancient appraisal. Mm -hmm. It's more, I call it modern. It's more modern. It's more, it's more ancient than it is modern, but you, you've got to use modern and ancient because it's like going to different kind of windows to, to think about the, 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 the ancient civilization is more modern. Than what we think we call modern. <laughs> we think what we call modern, that's not even modern at all. They, 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 you know what I'm saying? They ain't, I, I use a following system and I had to organically make, it had to grow while I was doing something. I had to make a file and then make the file have a numbering later on. But but they, that's something that's not practiced in, 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 uh, in school. I don't care what you talk, you know, like this. But I can't even do anything if I wasn't in the preschool in an organic way that how our relationships have evolved. Wow. <laughs> I can't make nobody come in that front door or the side door or the back door. They got to be able to, to suspend themselves from out of the thing that they've been in suspense with and start coming into what it is that they actually are being humanly formed by. The strategy, this thing is all out, it's like the human development of the child. And I think and it's so interesting, you know, a lot of times who you choose as your exemplars will determine who you will become. You know, if I, if I growing up, you know, a lot of kids do this, I say, well, when I, when I get grown, I want to be a gangster, you know what I'm saying? So everything I do growing up is to become a gangster. You know, as a kid, I start being a bully, trying to stroll, you know, and, you know, step into people and mistreating girls and all of that. Because I'm, my objective is to be a gangster. My exemplars are the gangsters in my neighborhood, the hoodlums. I grew up, he grew up in, we grew up in neighborhoods of gangsters and, and but they love us. Uh, some, some of them. <laughs> uh, but then if your exemplar, let us say, is Du Bois, you might not be as popular. You know, when you go to the high school dance, y'all don't know about a high school dance, huh? but they used to have high school dances. You go, Oh, really? <laughs> well, you might be one of the you might, you might be one of the, the boys that none of the girls want to dance with. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I see my homies get left behind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they say about the race of life. Right. You know, there are people who run it quick and they get to the end quickly. They peak in high school. They, they peak in high school. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'll tell you, when you see them 25, 30 years later, you say, well, what happened? They look so bad. Right. I got a cat in Reading Terminal I went to high school with. Central. He's a Jewish guy. Wow. I see him in He doesn't know who I am. I know who oh, he is. <laughs> oh, really? I'm looking at the cat. 
<laughs> I said, what happened to you, man? You look like shit. <laughs> no, I mean, okay, but I don't know whether he ran the race fast or not, but he's still alive. But, right. but sometimes a person who runs a purposeful life is a slower life. Mm -hmm. Because yes. each step you reflect, it's a reflective life. Yeah. You know, right. people who want it all, like you see these, these academics today, you know, where publishing, it was not always this way, mm -hmm. where people would be college professors and not publish a book, but their departments looked upon them as contributing something in the university and the dean as contributing something of quality even if one interprets the work of others. You know, that's a part of the scholarly process. But today with all of this, I got to be everything. I'm the man, I'm the woman, I'm cute. Look at me, I, I got the hippest, you know, whatever. And, you know, I'm, and then this whole cute thing is a whole nother thing. <laughs> Where everybody looked, you know, but anyway, y'all don't know about that. Being yeah, being cute. But the idea of branding, yeah. Yeah. It is a sad, tragic end to what is a collapsing intellectual culture. Right, right. It really is. And you know, just like Joe, he's gonna get his PhD and don't have to worry. You know what I'm saying? Get it, get out. Because life does not end with it, right. you know? <laughs> really, life don't even begin with it. Yeah, right, right. But, oh, go, go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna read some- Oh yeah, please do. There's an interesting discussion going on. Um, Magna says, I haven't read the essay, before what you're saying, uh, the essay, the article reminds me of the subaltern studies approach, oh, where you dredge up little known facts and use your authority as an expert to quote, deconstruct and throw away the people's understanding of history. Mm. How does he, how does he, I think Horn, how does Gerald Horn feel so confident taking a stance that Du Bois, Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass, and many other black revolutionaries never took? He says, dog, I get emotional too. Mm. I feel upset reading works written with cynicism, pessimism, and bad faith, mm. especially when they are pushed up by the academic establishment. Mm. It is such an insult to Du Bois and others who painstakingly mm. fought for the truth, whatever the consequences. And then she says, Roger and I were talking about the about, about how the anti-people tendencies- Raju. Yeah, yeah. I could say Roger. I was like, who's Roger? Oh, Raju. Yeah, Raju <laughs> and I were, we're talking about how- uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I mean, I never drink until we tear the chair out. Yeah, and then it sounds like Roger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two little more. Yeah, two little more. And not the ooh at the end. Yeah, it's not ooh. It's not chew. Ooh, baby, baby. Y'all gotta give me a little bit. We're talking how the anti-people tendencies of the intelligentsia of our time can be traced back to the new left slash the Frankfurt School, wow. whose understanding of fascism blamed the workers, where they even ran psychological tests on workers to prove their fascism. Meanwhile, the communist analysis of fascism saw it as a ruling class project led by oligarchs with the purpose of crushing a working class revolution, mm -hmm. she shares, 
a link to uh, a, uh, a test run by Adorno, who's part of the Frankfurt School. Then Jasper Thomas says, responds to Megna and says that I don't think that Adorno moralistically, moralistically blames the workers by stating that an authoritarian personality existed. And in a sense, it is true that, quote, it's the workers' fault. Uh, and then he says, the proletariat wasn't able to emancipate itself in a Marxist way, but Marxists only care about the workers' failure because the workers are put on a pedestal as the only class that has, a, that has this possibility in them. And then Ron Antaroinen says, <laughs> the way that Dr. Montero is describing academic intellectuals putting down working class people as stupid is similar to what the declinist historian Morris Berman says about Americans in general. Berman wrote the Twilight Trilogy about the fall of the American empire. And then Samir adds, at least you showed up to the dance and shot your shot. Nobody wanted to dance with me. I just wanted to uh, add add to what Megna was saying because I was thinking about this, uh, especially because we we're talking about the universities and academia and how they contribute to this sort of false historiography, which mm -hmm. is fact based and you know really has an agenda so you're back calculating what the history must mean what those facts must mean because you have the answer but also I was thinking that it took me a long time to actually understand what the 1619 project was and what the counter revolution what what the claims of the counter revolution it took me I don't know maybe this is just me but it took me an insane amount of time to try and understand what they were trying to do and now it seems like one of the things, the reason why they're doing it now is because, you know, the legitimacy of the ruling elite is being called into question in very obvious ways everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so now they have, they're trying to say that, no, it's not the ruling elite or the intellectuals who have failed the people. Like here, definitely, but also same in India. It's not them who have failed the people, it's the people who have failed them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, history shows us that that was always going to happen. Yeah. You know, it was always written down that they were always going to be fascist and they're going mm -hmm. to be, you know, this and that. Right. And they, that, that's why they failed. It's not the ruling class. It's not the intellectual. Mm -hmm. They're doing the right thing. Because yeah. I feel like if you look at it one way, almost this argument that fascism is baked into American society it's like it's almost like you are reframing the actual fascist argument like Hitler would make the argument that you know this is in the tradition of German civilization yeah. itself this That's is our true. destiny mm -hmm. as German people mm -hmm. like we are like the what, mm -hmm. like the whatever Herringholz whatever mm -hmm. but it's like you're almost accepting that argument and just repurposing it for your own like ideological agenda and saying like oh yeah actually yeah fascism is baked into like this society and you're agreeing with the argument that the fascists themselves would make. Um, and yeah, I think actually, I don't know if anyone watched um, the monk debates with uh, Matt Taibbi and this other guy with uh, Malcolm Gladwell and this other woman who writes for the New York Times. There was like this debate about um, whether, like it was like two sides were arguing whether you can trust the mainstream media. And beforehand, like, there was like a majority who were in favor of trusting the mainstream media, but then after this debate, um, like the the polls just shifted dramatically towards you can't trust the mainstream media. But it's like it was very interesting to see like 
how like the debate unfolded because Matt Taibbi and this other guy who I don't know who writes for Newsweek were basically pointing out all of the times like stuff like Russiagate mm -hmm. where the media got things really wrong but because of their ideological bias where they basically just wanted the Democrats to win they kept making these same mistakes and this is why people don't trust the news like factually people don't trust the news but like the responses from people like Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell was like basically saying like if you criticize the mainstream media you're racist because it's like he's like he's like Matt Taibbi is like nostalgic for an era when the, the news was dominated by straight white men but now that the news is not dominated by straight white men now he thinks there's problems with it but it's like there's it's like intellectually they're not they're like they're so they're so taken aback that people would not trust them and that people basically see the New York Times as like the mouthpiece of the American regime. Like this is like, the, this is the language that people use yeah. to describe yeah. the government as a regime. Right. And instead of actually trying to listen to that, it's like, oh, like, oh, actually they just must be racist. Like that is, that's, that must be why people hated Hillary Clinton because they're misogynistic, not because Hillary Clinton represents literally like the regime of American mm -hmm. like empire and neoliberalism. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it's, it's really fascinating just like to see it happening like psychologically right, right. unfold. But people can, I think people can see through it too as it's happening. Oh, really? Yeah. Right, right. Just so oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I feel like people almost conflate because I think it's also a question I have. But like people almost think of the sort of, I don't know how to best put it, but the sort of crudeness of Trump's movement with the Trump yeah. supporters. Like, not to say that, you know, it's bad or good or anything, but like almost say that because of this, because of the fact that a lot of them feel like they have very rushed drugs or anything that, that makes them patrick. Rather than it's something that's becoming and trying to like recognize something mm -hmm. that people and workers have identified with Trump. And then it's kind of, I don't know. I'm trying to try to think of like why is fascism so apparent now? Or not apparent, but like why is it in the discourse where people talk about it all absolutely the time? Yeah. I mean it's yeah. about like no. fascism who the enemy is. Yeah. And then um, I was at a platypus coffee break yesterday and we were talking about fascism and Danny brought up a quote from George Carlin, how fascism will come to America with smiling faces and like, you know, the very sort of marketability. And it's not something about like, oh, this is the, uh, Trump is the next uh, fascist, but something that's much more, like fascism will be something much more ingrained, something with much more mass appeal, much more sinister. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, you know, um, you know, there was always, uh, and this this line of historiography that we're talking about uh, is more the quote pessimistic end quote view of American history. Mm -hmm. There's always been that among a certain sector of the U.S. intelligentsia, right. who were always make the claim that America must become fascist uh, because America had chattel slaves and you know, Jim Crow and all of that. And that the American people would not recognize it as fascism because it would come in a, a familiar form. Well, that's a hypothesis. Uh, you know, one of the things that characterizes fascism as a movement uh, is that it is, an, it is an effort, successful in Italy and Germany, of course, 
to take power, to take state power. Now, because the ruling class feels that it is losing state power, mm -hmm. the ruling class does not feel it is losing state power in the United States. I mean, with all of the Trump movement, the, the, the state power has not been shaken. The FBI, the CIA, the military, and so on, is still able to, if they want to, to kill Trump and imprison most of his followers. And they threaten it every day. This is the ruling class. I, I don't know how to put it any other way. I think this is a canard, mm -hmm. a total fraud perpetrated by the ruling class. When in your life, I mean, when, what how, how could the anti-fascist be anti-fascist when it comes to Trump, but not anti-fascist when it comes to the Azov Battalion and the right sector in the Ukraine? I'm telling you. Or uh, Pinochet in Chile. in Chile. I mean, how? I mean, you anti-fascist every, you anti-fascist here, but pro-fascist everywhere else. We talk about Korea the crushing, the brutal crushing of the student movement of the 1980s. I mean, we all knew that if that, it had, quote, fascist characteristics, right. they did, yeah, well, anyway, I'll, but so it's, it's, it's a bunch of horse crap uh, that, you like milk? <laughs> I don't want to start cursing. The liberals will put us in Facebook prison if I use the F word. And on Twitter. But yeah, no, it's, it's a complete, uh, it is not real. The fascists, the people who control the levers of power, the CIA of all people, they're now being um, uh, uh, presented, branded as anti-fascists. Yes. And pro-diversity. The deep state is anti-fascist. Yeah, point. The deep imperialist state. And it's interesting how, like you're saying with Azov Italian and other stuff, they've had to totally rewrite history, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, I mean, you know, you talked already about the, how they liberal academics have rewritten the how Hitler and Mussolini came to power yep. and yep. changed it from a movement that elite bringing them in, inviting them in, opening doors basically to, oh, it was they tricked the population and won votes and blah, blah, blah of that. And then even more, uh, more so, like uh, this whole thing, like the European Union and uh, making a resolution equating mm -hmm. communism and fat Nazism, mm -hmm. and then the UN when they would vote to condemn fascism, the United States and the EU will vote against it or abstain because it, it for uh, especially with the current situation in Ukraine, they have to totally rewrite what ha even happened in World War II. Let's make that point again that in the UN mm -hmm. recently, in the last month mm -hmm. or so, a resolution was presented. Mm -hmm. in the Security Council condemning fascism mm -hmm. and the U.S. vetoed it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why a number of speeches, I mean, Putin talked about the need to remember 75 years ago, the what happened and what in in what in Russia they call the Great Patriotic War, yeah. what we call World War Two, mm -hmm. um, and who were the targets of that. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it shows how they, again, speaking of presentism or teleology, how they've taken the history of World War II, Hitler, and you can even tie this thing, the whole thing with, with the Kanye, the way the ruling elite has taken the whole thing yeah. of Hitler, shaped it for their own end, and then can actually support Nazi and neo-Nazi groups in Ukraine and other places uh, for their own ends. It was all based on this thing of uh, shaping the historical narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you see so many other examples of that. Yeah. I mean, we don't even get, I mean, obviously with fascism, we talk about so many things. COINTELPRO, assassination of all the leaders, from the president of the United JFK to RFK to Martin Luther King to Malcolm X to uh, Fred Hampton and all. And then um, you were saying earlier in the 19, even in the 1990s, the starvation of North Korea, the starvation of Iraq, the destruction of Iraq, destruction yep. of Libya. It was yep. all our lifetime. Yep. We don't have to look that far yep. back. The uprooting of the Palestinian right. people. Yeah, continue continuation of that. Um, so so anyway, I think all of that does establish the, the, the American corporate and political governmental support for apartheid South Africa right, right, for 40 right, years. Right, 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 right. You know, I mean, just on and on and on. What are we talking about? Right. What are we talking about? You know, and um, so I think I, I think it is um, an urgent duty of anybody with an ounce of moral sensibility oh. to stand up. The attack upon Du Bois, uh -uh. that has to be uh, stood up to yeah, I also like um, hearing Jahan talk about Kanye again in this context in fascism. Like I saw this morning or maybe it was yesterday that now like a bunch of organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center, um, Anti-Defamation League, now they're encouraging all tech companies to take Kanye West off of their no. platforms. Mm -hmm. And like the thing I realized was that there's like a two-pronged strategy with Kanye, which is one, like the ruling class, the ruling class that leads like the deep state, they want to encourage a portion of the population to just assume Kanye is crazy. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of the strategy is to basically um, take him down, like silence him, because they're realizing that even though Kanye West, it's not like he's even, even, even writing like a full-blown platform for America, the fact that Kanye West is speaking, the ruling class knows something which I think more people need to realize, which is that the American people are so unhappy, white, black, whatever race, whatever. They're so unhappy that they, if they just hearing Kanye West speak, it opens up the possibilities of people to think. Like, you know, his voice, his presence is enough to make people start thinking. Like it opens up certain possibilities in people's brains. Because like I was coming, I just came from my union's like executive board retreat. And it was amazing how much I felt more comfortable with the members than any of the staff. And it's the members who like were telling me about where they came from, where they're like, um, they were like, oh, I have an accent because I'm from Schuylkill County. Like it's known as a Skook accent. 
And there was this woman who like, you know, she's spray tan. She like, she's, she's a white woman, but she's just very expressive. Like just a very expressive white woman, which I feel like I'm not really used to. Mm-hmm. And wow. yeah, she, and she was like right. talking about how she used to work. She was like, when I was 18, like in my area, it was factories, like envelope factories, all of that. And then she even said, she made this comment. She's like, but then Mexico took all the jobs. Like, you know, there's a certain, like, she knows there's a certain historic, like, history there. And then she said, I had to, like, go into another field of work. Um, but I say this to also, like, to say that she talked about how, like, being in the, the reason why she liked being in the union was because it was the only space she felt like where she could actually learn new ideas from other people across the state. And she was specifically, like, she didn't outright say Black. Which I know she meant it. She's basically saying like it was a way for me to actually meet black people. Yeah. I was learning like things that I had never been taught before. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people would hear the way she was saying it and be like, yes, you like like these isolated white people are so narrow-minded because they grow up but that's the thing they're not like there's certain conditions that keep their minds a certain way Mm -hmm. but the thing is is that the ruling class knows you have to silence people like Kanye West it's not even like he has a comprehensive comprehensive platform but the fact that he's speaking in of itself is dangerous Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people in this country exactly like the members I know who like they as long as they can hear someone speak like start saying certain things it opens their mind like yeah. they will listen like they're not narrow-minded like they will listen and that's why like Kanye Kyrie they have to be taken yeah. down it's you okay know? like that. but you know something it's very important because Kanye was speaking a lot but his speech was not protest mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying yeah he was speaking but the script was supporting the regime the system, but now his speech is protesting the system. And I agree with you, that is what is dangerous. He doesn't have to have it all right. And I say again, Kanye is not an ideological anti-Semite and he's not an ideological Nazi. To make him that is the deviousness. The Southern Poverty Law a center is not a civil rights organization mm-hmm. and it's not about poverty pretty much of the jewish elite uh, managing the discourse on poverty and civil rights right right, right right kanye and i know mark lamont hill tweeted that Kanye is an anti-Semite. We are going to have to redefine this. Every question about history that involves Jewish people is not anti-Semitic. You know what I'm saying? Certainly, the voices And this is what the ADL and the Southern Poverty Law Center and all that want to do. They don't want black people to speak. This decades long attack upon the nation of Islam. Look, look at them. I mean, you know, we go to the mosque, we talk, 
they are trying to do good for black people. Yeah. So that's anti-Semitic. Yeah. I mean, this is horrible, horrible. And <laughs> yeah, fascism. I mean, this, this is a canard. It is, it is repression and imperialism in the name of, quote, fighting fascism. And this is why, and there is a way out. And I think our 10th anniversary, we conceptualized it. Let's hope more people recognize it. See this, if I could just wanna, see this, this uh, lifestyle of bad faith. It's not just among elite academics. It's in these movements, the so-called left. They would rather die than acknowledge that the free school got it right. They would. You've seen some people come here, you know, and so on and so forth. And I know the people, you don't know anything. You're almost a complete political idiot. I know you. But you would rather die by cuts, a thousand cuts, than acknowledge that Du Bois is right and our conceptualization. They can they talk about settler colonialism till the cows come home. You know, just anything. Because see, bad faith and performative radicalism go hand in glove. That's why your union staff is such a bunch of assholes. They don't know the working class and have utter contempt for them. And like that white woman said, and it's not unusual. It is not unusual. White people want to understand the black struggle. People want to know, how have you all been so resilient? How can you can continue to go forward like this? And this is something of the great capacity for struggle of the African-American people, which if this is the example, consolidates the entire people in a new way. You know what I'm saying? And, it, and this, you know, like when, when we went to Moss number 12 last Saturday and then they had the thing on Monday with all men and the photos on Facebook. And so it's a beautiful, because what does it say? We are the capacity. And see, when, when these men and women get united like that, they will go into the streets and without arms disarmed. We have that capacity. We know how to do it when we are united. And here come the ADL. No, man, get out of our business. You don't let us, we don't have nothing to say about what y'all do. In fact, if we protest Israel's treatment of the Palestinians, you charge us with being anti-Semites. You understand? They have no moral authority, but they have a lot of power. No moral authority. And if this is... I mean, it's an outrage. You can only imagine 
an oppressed people, an oppressed people being judged and have our necks stepped on by a privileged group? 4% of the population? Inordinate disproportionate power in every field. Not because you're the smartest guy in the room, but a lot of factors that played into this, including the memory of the Holocaust and the ruling elites of the United States, virtue signaling. But yet you're gonna attack black people, the great movements of this country? No, this is wrong. And it should be, and for Mark Lamont Hill, what the fuck are you talking about? Michael Eric Dyson, a clown, talking about black people have Jewish envy. Huh? You heard of penis envy? Yes. <laughs> no, it's like it's like a kind of a, 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 a you know a sat satirical take on that. So Jewish that that black people anti-Semitic because we envy the Jews. Like we envy them in terms of what though? Because they've done so good and we're doing so bad. <laughs> yeah, he, this is in the New York, the New York Times. So here you have. Then you on Facebook, I saw some people, I don't know who the fuck they are. You know, what y'all gonna say about Kanye now? I'm gonna say what I always said about Kanye. I really don't know his music and don't wear his fashion, but he has a right to speak and to say, as he said, I was wrong. I was wrong to have my designs that take $15 to produce being sold for $1,000 and young black people killing each other and selling dope to get money for this. I was wrong. He said, you want to know what anti-Semitism is? And then he started rapping. Motherfucker, I'm going to kill you, nigga. You ain't shit. Bitch, you ain't this. He said, that's anti-Semitism. And it's no way on this earth that those lyrics and that type of quote music could ever have seen the light of day where they talking about white people and white women that way. Mm -hmm. Our tradition is not that. If you want to talk about an external imposition into our lives, and it ain't produced nothing good for our people. In other words, the capacity of our people to resist has been diminished as a result of the hip hop and, and rap re re revolutions. It disrupted what was the greatest trajectory of music and art in the history of the United States. I don't know Nina Simone, but I know uh, uh, Megan Thee Stallion. You understand? Like we were saying, the, the, the historically black college marching bands. I mean, I'm, I'm not in, you know, I like marching bands. I was in marching bands, but why all the young girls got to be, you know, they, everybody's Beyonce now. You know, what are you majoring in, being a, 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 a Las Vegas showgirl? How can you be 
involved in study, in college study, when you devoting all your time to being cute? And why is that the way we present womanhood? College woman. You know, if you want to go to Las Vegas, if that's what you're into, if you go to strip club, if that's what you're about. But don't identify that with, with the historically black colleges and so on. Yeah. It's a defamation, a distortion. It, it's, I mean, this is real. But, you know, like Maya Angelou, it's still I rise. That spirit of resistance is there. I, and I even keep seeing it. The spirit, mm -hmm. as long as somebody says, I'm not going to accept this, it's good. It's good for us. You know, and especially these, these young men coming from privilege, Black privilege, meaning you a rapper or a basketball player, you ain't going to be a scientist because that's cut off. By first grade, <laughs> you, ain't, you ain't gonna do fit. That's all. That's cut out. So you only got two options: go to the NFL, the NBA, or maybe you make it as a rapper, and then you got to call your own people out of their names. Okay, but then to flip the script, I ain't gonna be your house negro no more. You doing you you stole my money. He said I'm a billionaire. And with the quickness, I lost half of that in one day. How could I be a billionaire? And you could take it from me like that. And then continue to protest. And so we, it's on us to interpret what is going on here. You know, see what they want to say, and they've always said they said it going back. That I'm I'm not exaggerating. They said I'm talking about ADL. They ain't never been, the, and that's the worst white supremacy. Don't smile in my fucking face. You ain't no friend of mine. They claim this is back in the eighties. The most anti-Semitic group in American society are Black people. The most homophobic group in American society are Black people. The most, what else? The most misogynist group in American. Everything that was bad and backward, and now they're putting on us, we following Hitlerites. We're the most Nazi group. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? And these are these are our liberal friends. I'm not making this up. So, you know, like like Baldwin talked about the a mirror, and it's you know black people's experience makes them very sensitive to how we are viewed. You know, because it makes it we always want to be viewed more positively by our quote fellow Americans. And and often we go out of our way to fight for unity, for to fight for self-respect in American society. We really do. No other group has had to walk this torturous path. So dehumanized, so disrespected, 
so stereotyped. I mean, I can't tell you. Uh, it was regular fare to present Black people with the most grotesque physical features. That's why Black people don't like their hair, don't like their lips, don't like their nose, don't just don't like yourself. Because the world around you tells you that what you look like is the reason why you're where you are. Go to any prison, go, go down to the courtroom. The majority of Black people on trial are darker skinned. The darker skinned child experiences things that the lighter skinned child does not. But that's the nature of racial hierarchy. And then to constantly say, there's nothing good we can do. And then this is why I have not accepted the hip hop movement as a contribution to black liberation by any means. It was a disruption of black liberation fomented by corporate money, by finance capital and the Hollywood entertainment industry. It did not come from within us. If it had, it would have been shut down. That could not have existed. This is where Minister Nouri Mohammed didn't go far enough. They don't go far enough because they're trying to, you know, play. No, no, no. You got to, you got to call, call it what it is, an ideological assault upon the souls of black people. No people in history, maybe I don't know all of it, have called their own mothers and sisters and women bitches. How do you get to that? Where the fuck did that come from? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, you know, on the street, you got street culture, you got people that carry on all kind of shit. But when you get to music, that's us. There ain't no music, all our music, you hear it. You take that down, you take that from us, mm -mm. it had to be external. And until we come to terms with it, like I know a lot of people in the nation of Islam say, well, Snoop Dogg is down with the minister, Minister Farrakhan. So Jay-Z communicates with Minister Farrakhan. So they're communicating with Minister Farrakhan, but they have to atone for what they have done to our people. Okay, you from Compton? But I don't make no, I don't romanticize no Crips and Bloods, drive-by shooting. That ain't slick. Even cats here in Philadelphia, I see cats from about, yeah, uh, uh, the Moroccos for life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what you, what you glamorizing thug and hoodlum culture for life? Half y'all motherfuckers went to jail over some bullshit? For life? What's so good about that? You know, I'm not impressed. So this glorification of gangster and thug life, uh-uh, uh-uh. The gangster has been the enemy 
of the Black liberation struggle unless they reform. And that's the great contribution of the nation of Islam. Now they reform some, a lot, you know, and I, I'm, I'm critical. That's why I like the second resur resurrection. Remember you asked me, is the nation of Islam different in the second than it was in the first? Yes. Yeah, more religious. But also, see, a lot, a lot of cats, they got reformed by the prison ministry and just by the nation of Islam. But they bring in that street shit into the into the, the mosque. Y'all might not recognize it. You know, see, I don't need all that oh broke down hats and all that old shit. You're too much of a gangster. So what are you saying? Well, they used to call mosque number 12 the gangster mosque. You understand? But with the second resurrection, a different quality of young men and women, not only more religious, but they don't want that gangster shit. You know what I'm saying? That gangster culture has never been revolutionary or progressive. Even if you grow up in, like I grew up, he grew up in a neighborhood you know, frankly, and I ain't know most of the cats. I knew them, but I wasn't down with it like that. Nothing really good comes of it. Nothing good comes of it. A lot of people, because they have no other options. I'm going to sell hell, Ron, because I can't get a good job. I'm uneducated. Okay, all right. But you're still doing damage. You're still hurting a community. A lot of people, because they ideologically and philosophically like that life. Everybody that becomes a gangster because they poor, a lot of people say, well, I, I like that, that look. You know, I like that garb, the way they, you know, gangster looks. I like the fact that a lot of women look up to gangsters. I like the fast money because I want to get me a fast car. Fast car, I got a fast woman. You know, it's a lot of, you know, quality has a quality of life issues. You know what I'm saying? But to romanticize it is a whole nother thing. It is not good. And I don't know of any people that have progressed, made progress, that romanticizes gangsterism and thugism. You know what I'm saying? Because the implications are too profound. You go that route, what happens to children? What happens to women and mothers? Like Du Bois called the all mother. So you just demolish all that shit. Uh-oh. So with, we see, uh, I'm gonna shut my mouth. Capacity to struggle. In spite of everything, that capacity. And give working people the benefit of the fucking doubt. Don't always default to the fucking elites, the ruling. Give working people 
listen to them. They ain't speaking like, like you do in a university seminar. They speak in plain terms. And those are what we have to hear. And so, yeah, we, but I, I shut my mouth here. I think we have to get ready to go over to the Church of the Overcomer, right? <laughs> I tell you what, they don't take your eye off of the evolution and not to Philadelphia and the Muslims University and, and the importance of the schools that have developed. Even if you don't have it, even if you don't see it in your eyesight, so sometimes we're on this long road together. And, and the more you stay on it, the more you get acquainted with all the things that you meet people, that the people I've met in my entire lifetime, not just the nation, it's not, but it's not just the Sunni community, but people from around the globe who, who care about what children got to learn in school. Because that is one of the primary things. I don't care if it's in Libya, in Yemen, even the wars going on in Damascus, even the things going on, it is this thing about the children in school. It's not just the Quran that's being taught. It's stuff about the environment. Mm -hmm. They got ecological um, pro ecological programs going on, reforestation things going on. It's a lot of things that people don't even know that's going on from this time I call world like a university school. It's like China, part of a university of schools. Um, Buddhism, Hinduism, all of the theologies that we can be talking about. It's people that's working culturally unifying how they think about communicating with each other. Mm -hmm. They're not divided by religious spells like, I'm not going to talk to you, Christian. It's people doing this right now, even though it might not be our perceptual view, but it is happening. It is happening. You can bring those kind of reports. It might take a week or two and just put a name in and pull it right up, and, it, and you'll have a report that it is people. I'm trying to talk to people like in a diplomatic and talk to people in diplomacy. You know what I mean? And the railroad workers, like we're doing black reconstruction, it's black railroad workers with whites and all kinds of complexities, but they no one would think that they would begin to have that unifying effect. They don't have to strike, but I bet you if they did strike, the, the load would fall on this country. It'll fall all over the world. Right. And that's an important thing about what you're saying to me about coming from the union. I was in the union for a lifetime, but just to know, I bet you I was a black worker. I bet you I was a black worker, <laughs> black laborer. Right. And the same thing that I'm right. so only got a brief to speak about, it was a part of my life. Got so my mind is consciously aware of the railroad workers and the reconstruction. Mm -hmm. And if you say the black worker, well, you better start thinking about the white worker and reconstruction with the black ones. They <laughs> on that railroad line. My dad used to work for the Reading Railroad, and they and they dismantled that that trailway to go through Pennsylvania as cheap as we could. You know, I mean, cutting that cutting that lifeline railroad system only got rid of terminal. I'm talking about the whole railroad. Where travel people travel for minimums amount of money, mm -hmm. but so so it's, it's really principle that the railroad worker that we that we witness and that's that's part of reconstruct. That's the phenomenon of having the boys book right now mm -hmm. to reconstruct because because that's that's part of the whole mechanism of the mercantile, the laborers, the freight, all of the energy, the power, electrical, all this stuff is could be right in the boys book. But, but it's, it's, it's playing itself out as we go by day by day, daily life. It's like part of our daily life. 
and, and not not take the long road like you're going down. Don't mm-hmm. don't take that down. Don't take that down with spirit. Like like things are going down. It's going down like somebody yeah, it's going down, but not going down the way they suggested. It's going down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Take it like the dog right now, if y'all way of reaching those communication. I, I call what I'm speaking about right now a unification of communication. Not this unification of me telling y'all what to do. If I uni- unification of communication means we can communicate, I don't care how far the people live from us or how close it is to something you gotta keep operating in. And if you cut it off, then you cut off. Right. If you want a petition, they got a petition in every country in the world. We gotta break, we tear down petitions. Not between Korea and South Korea, right here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Neighborhoods, petitions. And until we can get the thing, take the petitions down, we could we could all be in some communicating way. The doctor, you, 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 you take the right, you went to a writer's barrier, got me. <laughs> you 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 fire brands up inside of you. But I, I can feel it. You know what I'm saying? But that's how we use we have sometimes language we use can be very, very fiery. But not harmful, just mean what I'm saying. Mm-hmm, that's so right. Don't pay me, don't and pay we, me. And, we, and we have a right to speak. You know what I'm saying? And we don't have to be shut up and scared and intimidated. But, hey, y'all, let's get ready. We got to go over to Jersey now. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. Who brought these?